This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on this side. Top of the morning to you. Hey, it's Tuesday, which means uh, you're one day in, four days away, and more importantly, it's the day we get to talk a little bit of Trump and Congress. Just a little bit. Isn't that every day? Well, I've been trying to avoid it recently. I've been taking a Trump break. And today, uh, we're going to be talking about executive powers. Everybody thinks, you know, we need to rein in the executive, except the executive. And now, Trump was saying uh, Obama was taking too much executive power, making too many regulations. Now the question is, will he pass legislation to, to limit the ability of the executive to make more regulations? Right. I'm going to bet not. Why would you? I mean, as a guy now that runs his own city, I wouldn't. This is the, <laughs> this is the same argument. Is, is Congress going to you know, take away their powers? Are they going to you know, cut their pay? You know, they're always like, oh, they get paid too much. We need to cut that back. Yeah, cut your there's, pay. There's no way. They always yeah. give themselves a raise. Or pass some legislation that minimizes your terms. You know? So, so yeah. you've got only two terms or three terms. You can, no one's going to no. minimize their power. The more terms you have, the more power you gather. The so more why... life you can suck out of people. Right. <laughs> I mean, that in the best way possible. No. No, it's about doing what's best for your constituents. That's what we hear locally. Yeah. When people say they're not going to run and then run again and again right. and again and again. Running is probably the last thing in this world that I would want to do. And then they become basically oh. a, a living corpse in office. And there's – oh, wait. Sorry. Go ahead. Wow. I think we've struck a nerve. Somebody, somebody is frustrated with the the recent uh, announcement that someone may be running as the oldest senator in. I think the whole concept that he's like fourth in line to the presidency really has him stoked. Oh yeah, he enjoys a Secret Service protection, and he's like, "This is pretty good. I like this." He's four heartbeats away. Hey, fourth best ain't bad. <laughs> it ain't bad at all. I mean, you know, unless it's like a four man race. Yeah. But he's – I mean we're talking about Orrin Hatch. Yeah. I have one of the greatest stories ever about Orrin Hatch. When I was a 16-year-old boy – You're going to tell us now? Well, yeah. Okay. Was, okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry to you, interrupt. Did you not want to hear it now? No. Go ahead. I was going to tell it later, but it won't – No, it's, it's not. It, it doesn't matter It's later. your show. Go ahead. <laughs> Darn right, it's my show. So yeah, term limits. Why would you do that? Why would the president? So Orrin Hatch <laughs> was. Uh, I was at. Right. I was 16 years old with my wife now girlfriend at the time. We were at a dinner, uh, having dinner at the Mandarin, which is a Chinese place in Bountiful, Utah. Right. I'm sitting there, look across the room, and I recognize this guy, this really powerful guy, and I turn. I don't know his name because I was 16. Hmm. Turned to my. Uh, adult friend that was there and said, "Who's that dude over there?" And he's like, "That's Orrin Hatch." And I'm like, "He's he's like he's a senator. He's a U.S. senator. He's that carpetbagger from Pittsburgh." Sorry, and, go ahead. And I thought, what a cool guy. <laughs> and he caught my eye, 
And across a crowded waiting room, west, uh, restaurant waiting room. Did give you a wink? He walked oh. over through the crowd oh, wow. and shook my hand and said, what's your name? I mean, he, he, by the way, he's a senator. Hmm. He's going to dinner. And he went through the entire group, came over to 16-year-old me that couldn't vote, asked me my name, and then talked to me for like five minutes. Hmm. And so from then on. He got my vote. Two questions. 18 terms later, he still has my vote. Was it an election year and was there a camera present? No cameras okay, were wow. present. Okay, wow. Genuine opportunity Don't there. remember if it was an election year, but I'm a 16-year-old kid. Yeah. When I was been. 16, wow. I ate some Chinese. I ate some Chinese in a restaurant with Orrin Hatch. That was great. My vote he did not snatch. Until I was 18. Okay. You done? Done with that. You're going to do that song now. <laughs> I thought it was fitting. Hey. It was very fitting. Go figure. That was off the top of his head. That was amazing. That was, see, this is why we've got this show. We never know what's going to happen. For now. me to sing? Oh, okay. I see. Anyway, so we'll be talking uh, about Congress trying to rein in presidential power. Will Trump sign off on it? He's got to sign off on it if if it's going to go through, right? So we'll get to all that fun, plus um, just more, you know, empty news, Matt Townsend news. Maybe another Orrin Hatch story if we're lucky. Could be. You never know. Someday I could talk about – well, I won't go there. Anyway, lots of, uh, lots of people we've met. Uh, Let's now get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Authorities across the U.S. Northeast caution residents Tuesday to stay off the roads. Thousands of school districts have been canceled, and or the classes have been canceled in those districts in the region. As raging winter storm has been uh, battering Philadelphia, New York, Boston, and elsewhere. Saw a live stream of uh, Times Square. It doesn't look that bad. It ain't bad. You guys might just need to go to work today. It's really not that bad. <laughs> Except they, they don't know they don't move snow very well back east. It's New York. They just slap a plow on the on the garbage trucks and start plowing. I know, That's but how it works. three inches will just destroy the town. Governor Andrew Cuomo declared a state of emergency for each of New York's sixty-two counties, and he demanded that all non-essential state employees stay home rather than commute to work. More than five thousand flights have so far been canceled, including more than. 2,800 in New York City area alone. The storm, according to the National Weather Service, will drop between 12 and 18 inches of snow across the region. Wow. New Jersey, the New Jersey shore is at risk of strong winds between 50 and 55 miles per hour and storm surge, which is always fun. Oh, that means Pookie. What's that girl's name? Snooky. 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 <laughs> what's her name? Snooky? She probably lives in Florida now. Oh, okay. That's where you go. When you're done with New Jersey, you go yeah, to Florida. that's right. The Congressional Budget Office numbers on the Republican health plan were released Monday, and the numbers were worse than a predicted coverage. 24 million fewer than Obamacare in 10 years, 14 million additionally uninsured in 2018, 21 in 2020, and 24 in 2006. Premiums 15 to 20% higher in 2018. And uh, 10% lower in 10 years, President Trump talked about his proposed health plan. And you'll see rates go down, 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 and you'll see plans go up, up, up. You have a lot of choices. You'll have plans that nobody's even thinking of today. Wonderful plans. You'll have plans you didn't even know you had to have. (laughs) We've got plans in arrears. (laughs) That's after he talked about how everyone loves Obamacare now that Obama's gone. I mean, that's why people love Obama. They didn't love him when he was in office. Right. Now they love him so much because he's gone, and that's what's going to happen. You're going to love Obamacare when it's gone. 
or something. It's Republicans insist they're not trying to compete with Obamacare, which required people to buy coverage. Instead, they're giving Americans a choice, and some will choose not to have health care. An independent White House analysis of the American Health Care Act, so this is the White House analysis, not the Congressional Budget Office, says the proposed over- overhaul will cause 26 million people to become uninsured, according to documents obtained by Politico. Mm. White House disputes all numbers. Sure, sure. The Department of Justice has requested an extension to produce evidence in support of President Donald Trump's claim that the Obama administration ordered wiretaps against him. Lawmakers in the House Intelligence Committee had previously asked for the department to submit evidence in support of Trump's claim by Monday. They needed yeah, extra well, time. Y- yeah, it was all just a little misunderstanding. So we'll see what happens. They're going to see if they can produce some uh, documents here soon. And finally, hundreds of aggressive and potentially radioactive wild boar have prompted public safety concerns in Japan, according to news reports. Oh, boy. As homeowners prepare to return to towns near Fukushima, where a 2011 earthquake and tsunami triggered a meltdown at a nuclear power plant in the region. When the area was evacuated, wild boars moved in the surrounding hills and from the hills and forests. The animals, which can be aggressive towards humans, now freely roam the deserted towns, according to Reuters. It is not, what it, it is not really clear which is the master of the town, people or wild boars, says one of the mayors of these. Oh, that's small scary. Towns. Wild boar taking over. And that reminds possibly me, radioactive. That reminds me of the uh, that movie this year. What was it called? The Swining. The Swining. That it, was scary. It's kind of a mix of The Shining and the nuclear radioactive boar attack. Now, if you saw the first really horrible, incredible Hulk movie... They had radioactive poodles. This is the one in the early 2000s yes. with Eric Bana. Huh? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Is that Steve, who it was? Steve Bana? Move on. They, they, had a, they had two dogs that were being experimented on and turned into like a radioactive poodle the size of a car. Oh, that's bad. And so Hulk's wrestling these dogs. Here, boy. Looking at, what Here are, boy. It was the reason, really, there's so many reasons why that movie was horrible. Sounds but, like a Ninja Turtles movie. is what. It, yeah, it does. But... <laughs> <laughs> That's what I see here. You see boar the size of cars coming after Boar people. Boars are bad anyway. They're just bad. But you get them all nuked up. <laughs> I know. Then you're really in How do you stop a nuclear or a radioactive boar? From a distance. Probably just with a gun. Yeah. When I used to play Deer Hunter 2017, I used to take out a lot of boar. Never took out a nuclear or radioactive bore, ever. Could we move on? This news is really starting to bore me. Yeah. Boy. Mm-hmm. Boy, the crowd's Sorry, I couldn't today. resist. I'm, a I am, hostile today. I am kind of a, a ham. A little hostile. So the uh, OMB says mm. that they, they, they gave the numbers on the health care um, revamp. Yes. But here, here's what they're going to say on the Republican side. We've got a lot more to add to this. So well, They said it's first of a three-part plan. Yeah, and, and every – they'll just keep adding the next plan. And when you add the next plan, it will fix a lot of these numbers. Right. Well, they say the other end of it is, again, there's no mandate compelling people to buy yeah. insurance so people have a choice. So, yes, more people will be uninsured because human will, they'll right. just decide not to buy it. Right. But then what will happen, they're saying, is then more companies will get involved, more competition will be created across state lines. And when that happens, 
then everyone's going to want to be a part of this because there's going to be competition. Prices will be lower. The OMB did say that the prices will go down in 2020, 2026. So that's a hopeful thing. It's just 24 fewer million people using it. And And they're all the poorer people that need it desperately. And some of that is they won't qualify. Now, in it, they talk about a $337 billion deficit cut. Yeah. Right? But most of that deficit cut is because they're cutting Medicaid. Right. <laughs> which will keep people from being able to qualify for insurance. It's going to save – it's going to save a third of three hundred trillion or three hundred million dollars, a third of a trillion dollars. Are yeah. you kidding me? And that's just the first pass. Yeah, we got two more. They're saying two more coming. So they're they're you'll cl- be amazed. They're claiming this budget savings, but that beca- that's because we're not we're cutting coverage so, or Medicaid coverage, so people won't be able to qualify for the right. health care, which is some of the savings, and it's all muddled together. And, and you- the big point is, Obama's Obamacare was going down anyway. That's what they keep saying. So if it if it went down and tanked anyway, those twenty four million would have been out of their insurance anyway. So really, we're breaking even. It's kind of the sound of it is. And uh, Trump in a press conference yesterday said he goes, "I told the the leadership just let it go, let it go, just let it fall apart because then at that point then the blame's on everybody else and then we can try to fix it." But they goes, "That's irresponsible." To the American people. That's right. I'm glad that the president. Perfect healthcare has, is gone. The fact the president suggests this to the leadership, and then later goes, but that's not a good idea. That's not Don't a good idea. Um, have you noticed that Jeffrey's been breaking into song a lot more lately? Yeah, it's. Uh, I wasn't going to bring it up. I just kind of let things happen and see if they run their course. Maybe dissipate ever, on their own. You know what? I, I think it's ever since he went to that um, the Osmond revival. The, no. the 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 great Osmond revival in uh, at the Sarah Theater in downtown Provo. Mm. Ever since that went down, he's he's just he's much more chipper. He's wearing purple socks. I don't know why. Apparently, See, Donnie. And I believe that that does affect a person. I had the Osmonds forced upon me also. In hold a on, situation hold on, hold where on. I was unable to get out of it. And, forced uh, upon you. Yeah, they're the Osmonds for heaven's sakes. They were. It was kind of a sneak attack. No one really said what the program was. We were just required to go, and you walk in, and all of a sudden, it's like here's here's some obscure Osmonds, and then all of a sudden, it's Donnie, and I'm like, oh no, the whole family's here. Oh, that's great. And then it turned into this cavalcade of Osmonds. I love Donnie Murray. I thought they were certified national and international treasures. They are. They are. In fact, I was in England in certain counties in Utah. Yes. When they when I was in England and they said where are you from and I said Utah and they're like, oh, have you met the Osmonds? They said that. So and I'm like no, but I have a friend that just went to their revival. Mm. And then I thought of you, Jeff. Is there like a tent in a parking lot? Is that how they do the revival? No, because I think were there you snakes probably saw them involved? in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> there's snakes. <laughs> yeah, there's a, he he went to he went to Vegas there. The headlining there, it's amazing. That's not a revival. That's a that's a Survival. Vegas show at a casino. Well, but they're revived. Revival will be the the guy that shows up twice a year at the parking lot near my house. That they also sell Christmas trees at. Now <laughs> that's a, tent. a revival. That's a revival. <laughs> um, is that why you're breaking into song, Jeff? I don't know why my life has perpetual is perpetually becoming a musical. Mm. There are some illnesses that. For whatever reason, you break into song thinking that you're actually communicating. Instead, you're singing. 
Hmm. Yeah, that's true. There might be some sort of nerve. You know, there's a lot of yeah. happening. Uh-huh. Well, I've got a friend that's a neuroradiologist. If you want me to get you a scan, yeah. Speaking of radioactive boar, we could have radioactive Jeff. <laughs> so, by the way, my wife's <laughs> i uh, her idea of a perfect afterlife is for people to just break out in song, and everybody will know the words to the songs. Really. And it'll all be choreographed. Well, but won't it be less like La La Land and more like Mormon Tabernacle Choir songs? Whew. I mean, it seems like to me when in the afterlife you're going to be, you know, singing with angels in heaven, you know. Well. Choirs of angels singing. It doesn't all have to be so formal. I mean, you think you, you're saying you think there will be like a show tunes area in heaven. Oh, sure. Show tunes area, there's going to be like a megaplex. If I'm sounding sacrilegious, yeah. I apologize. You think there will be like a, 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 a rock area? I just hope that I'll be able to sit down and say, play Jeff wins the Landley Enloe Award in sixth grade. Siri or whatever it, the, yeah. the heavenly Siri will Alexa. be. Alexa. Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting view of heaven. We'll see how close you are when we get there. And if we get there. (laughs) (laughs) I've never thought of it that way. Hmm. We got a lot to cover, folks. In a bit, we're going to come back and talk um, presidential power. Congress would love to rein it in. Presidents for years have been trying to, you know, extend it out, increase their power. What will Donald Trump do? He's the one that took on uh, President Obama's abuse of power or alleged abuse of power. Now what happens when you're sitting in that seat? Stick with us, folks. Talking Politics, up next. Throughout every presidential administration, the executive powers of the president and his, and, uh, his branch have steadily grown stronger Bills like Reins Act and the Midnight Rules Relief Act would provide Congress with powers currently uh, held by the executive branch, but it would also make them more accountable to the American people. Would President Trump relinquish so much power to the legislative branch? Can he see through their facade? Are they just trying to trick him? Are they saying that this is a way to... uh, you know, slap the Obama administration for some of their overreaches. But really what they're going to do is end up curbing his power. Here to speak more about this is uh, Andrew uh, Rudolevich, Andrew Rudolevich, a professor of government at Bowdoin College and uh, an expert on the subject. Andrew, thank you so much for being with us today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is, um, it seems like a complaint we hear with every battle between Congress and every president of the last, it seems, I don't know, 30, 40 years. Has this battle between the branches, the executive and Congress, have they been have they been going at this forever to, to, for, you know, who's in control, who has the right to regulate? Well, that's built into the Constitution, right? The separation of powers and the way that our Constitution asks the branches to check and balance each other means that they're going to be in conflict a fair bit, even when they are... Uh, 
controlled by the same political party. But yeah, the rise of regulations is an interesting twist on this because, of course, you know, back in the uh, 18th and 19th century, there really wasn't a lot of government to regulate. We weren't right. asking uh, the federal government to uh, deal with many issues, you know, that we ask it to do now. So, you know, it's, of course, in the uh, late 19th century with the growth, of, the growth of an industrial economy and then with the New Deal and World War II and sort of the institutionalization of the Cold War. You know, it's at that point that uh, the executive branch grows dramatically. And so the executive power grows with it. So there's there's some um, legislation Congress is trying to pass uh, maybe maybe review some of these bills and, and what they would do to limit the powers of the president. Sure. Well, there's a couple of approaches uh, that people have taken to trying to, uh, you know, uh, lessen the impact of regulation or at least make it more thoughtful. Uh, one of these was presidentially driven, right? And back in the uh, 1970s, as uh, environmental and consumer regulation was uh, really skyrocketing, you know, there were efforts by Presidents uh, Nixon and Ford and Carter uh, to try to uh, see what the impact of those regulations would be on the economy. Uh, then President Reagan in 1981 issued an executive order just flat out uh, stating that any regulation that was issued had to have more benefits than costs and provided a centralized uh, means within the White House, basically, in the Office of Management and Budget to try to review that. That has been continued by every president since, and it looks like President Trump's going to try to expand that somewhat. Uh, on the congressional side, though, we've seen a couple things. One thing that was passed in 1996 was called the Congressional Review Act, and it allowed Congress to effectively cancel any regulation that was passed at the end of a presidential term. Hmm. Uh, that is to say, within 60 days of when uh, the uh, Congress had uh, been in session at the end of that term. Now, since Congress doesn't, frankly, work that much uh, <laughs> this year, uh, right. 60 days went back to June. So uh, Congress currently and uh, has been working to identify regulations it doesn't like that were passed up through June, uh, sorry, after June. And those, uh, you know, have been brought to the floor. There's been a few that have already been uh, canceled out, uh, you know, most prominently maybe uh, one having to do with uh, coal mines and the way that they uh, can dispose of some of their sludge. Um, so that was overturned. That's now uh, been canceled. But, you know, that does limit them. Even, you know, let's assume they work a little more often, you know, 60 days is going to pass a lot faster. Right. And, and you got to get your act together. And that's hard for yeah. Congress to to get that focus to get something done, isn't it? Sure. Well, it's hard, you know, it's hard partly because it has to pass through both House and Senate. It's hard because they have to agree on what they think the most egregious uh, regulations are. Uh, and, you know, there are, you know, regulations, uh, I should say at the outset, you know, start for a reason, you know, because mm -hmm. there are uh, constituencies that feel that there are problems with the way in which you know, an industry, for example, is conducting itself. So, you know, one of the rules that's been overturned uh, was trying to prevent oil companies from uh, giving payments to foreign governments in exchange for, uh, you know, concessions, yeah. you know, in those Access, countries. Yeah. And, you know, and people are, you know, critics of that would say, 
yeah, well, isn't that just a bribe? You know, we don't allow other companies to bribe foreign governments to, to let them work there. Uh, yeah, why start uh, why now? Why are we letting you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, and there are, you know, arguments back and forth. But, you know, every, every piece of red tape starts uh, as at least uh, the intention is to make it a protection for some group or for the economy as a whole. So, you know, there's going to be arguments in Congress when they think about which regulations to overturn. You know, is this a protection? Is it a, an imposition? You know, on on business or on you know the way consumers can access products or goods. Uh, so yeah, that makes it even harder for Congress. And of course, when you have a president in office who you know is in favor of those regulations, you know the Congressional Review Act really can't work. Yeah, it doesn't because you know it only is working right now because there is a president who's sympathetic to this deregulatory agenda. But of course, when um, you had a Republican Congress and a Democratic president, that was much harder to achieve. There, there, there were other. It's amazing how many different, um, I guess, approaches, proposals that are out there. Um, talk about the RAINS Act, because, by the way, what a funny name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> RAINS stands for Regulations from the Executive in Need of Scrutiny. I mean, that's a yeah. great acronym in acronym world, uh, in the acronym world. Um, and the Midnight Rules Relief. Um, are, are, these, are these just other methods of trying to rein in the president? Yeah, well, you know, as you say, the acronyms get kind of tortured. They're, uh, you know, trying to come up with a catchy bill name sometimes requires some awful uh, constructions of the English language. Uh, Yeah, so there are really two approaches that Congress has taken, maybe three. Um, One, which is what the RAINS Act does, is to require, instead of coming back and trying to cancel everything afterwards, it would require that Congress affirmatively vote to put in place any regulation in the first place, Hmm. any major regulation, I should say. Uh, Major regulation is usually something that has an impact of $100 million or more on the economy. Um, Sounds like a good idea. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a good idea and it's not. Uh, And let me say why. It's a good idea if you believe that Congress will take it seriously. Congress is responsible for... You know, the laws that it passes, and it is from those laws that uh, departments and agencies get the authority to regulate. Uh, and so proponents of the RAINS Act will argue, well, yeah, so Congress, you know, gave these agencies the power. It should take a closer look at how it, how those agencies are implementing these laws. Mm. And if they're not doing it in a way that Congress thinks is appropriate, they should, uh, should you know, prevent that from happening. So far, so good. Um, the problem, as we were kind of hinting at earlier, is that you know Congress is uh, not very well equipped to spend a lot of time on these issues. It's not particularly expert. I mean, this is one reason that it gives this power to the agencies in the first place, because those agencies are filled with people who have expertise in a particular area. And so members of Congress don't necessarily you know, have that expertise. And so one concern is that, you know, this will become effectively just a partisan punching bag. Right. Right. So it'll be a chance for members of Congress to grandstand about uh, environmental protection or, uh, you know, issues in health care or education or, you know, take any of the multitude of areas that the federal government has a, a regulatory role. Uh, and then it will become effectively just sort of a, a chance for, you know, speeches for delay and the things that actually do need to get through. Oh, and then, uh, yeah. And everybody just agrees some need to get through. We'll just get delayed and delayed. Stagnation. Yeah. I mean, so this is a worry. Um, you know, another approach um, 
that's been offered. I think Senator Portman in Ohio is the leading proponent of this, is to uh, sort of a version of the RAINS Act that is, uh, again, sort of moves things up front. It requires the agencies to do quite a lot more analysis of the regulations before they can move forward. Mm. Um, so it, you know, it, it sort of builds on what presidents have been trying to do that I mentioned earlier in terms of this cost-benefit analysis. Right. Um, but it makes it more rigorous, and it requires a, a wider use of evidence. And so this, I think, uh, you know, may be a, a promising middle ground where you, uh, you know, everybody, well, most people would agree, I think, that you know, smart regulation is better than dumb regulation. Uh, and you have, you know, the chance here to apply, um, you know, some advanced econometric procedures to trying to figure out what kind of benefits and costs will flow from a given issue. I mean, the argument there, of course, is that not all benefits might be quantifiable. Right. Right. Um, you know, it is, you, can, you can sort of say clean air is worth X number of lives, and we can make up a number for how much a life is worth. Um, but, you know, this is getting into the realm of subjectivity pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, I mean, right. Recently, we've just been hearing about the OM, Office of uh, – uh, management and budget, I guess, for um, as, as they've been trying to create the the real numbers for the um, healthcare initiative that's being proposed by Congress. Is isn't it isn't one idea too that they they make an office that is kind of an independent office that runs the regulatory world that runs all these regulations to make sure they're not getting out of hand. That's similar to the OMB. Yeah, well, I think that's an interesting uh, proposal. What you've what you had in you know, in Congress in the 1970s was actually a reaction to OMB, which is a presidential agency, okay. uh, and which is responsible for, you know, the vetting of regulations as they move through the executive branch process. Um, and on the budget side, you know, Congress grew suspicious. This is, you know, the Nixon era. Right. Um, there was a lot of uh, suspicion to go around, quite frankly. Uh, but they were, you know, very happy to... Uh, you know, for for a long while, had been very happy to listen to OMB and to take their budgetary projections uh, as the basis for their own work. In the 1970s, as they worried that OMB was becoming more politicized, they uh, created the Congressional Budget Office, which was designed there you to go. Yeah. independent analysis. Um, and of course, yeah, as you say, uh, OMB and CBO both have been wrapped up in this uh, effort to uh, to score, as they call it, the uh, the effects of the uh, healthcare proposal that the Republican Caucus has put out, you know, this last week or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so the proposal, which kind of ties into the Reins Act and to some of these other efforts to sort of uh, have Congress pre-approve regulations, that is basically about having. Um, you know, more resources, more expertise, so they can actually have an idea of what the impact of these regulations would be. Um, so instead of building up their personal staff, they would create, again, a nonpartisan counterpart to the Congressional Budget Office. Some people have called it the Congressional Regulation Office. You know, you could come up with a catchier acronym if you wanted. Uh, Crow. That would be a yeah. Crow, yeah, I don't yeah. know, Core, I don't know. I think yeah. we, could, we could come up with something, I'm sure. Uh, but in any case, that would uh, be one way for you know, nonpartisan uh, analysis to uh, to sort of foreclose, we would hope, at least some of the partisan grandstanding you might expect otherwise. Yeah. Now, of course, as we've seen with the Health Care Act, that doesn't guarantee anything. No. Um, you know, the, the grandstanding, you know, the efforts actually to undermine CBO's numbers by proponents of the bill have been right. pretty notable. Yeah, because they were um, so off. And 
So these new numbers are going to be off, except they like parts of the numbers. So those numbers aren't off, but the other numbers are off. That's why this gets crazy. And the battle between executive and uh, and Congress, it's I guess it's kind of it's permanent. Right. And let's Andrew, let's take a break. Come back. I want you to tell me if you think is there any way on Earth that Donald Trump's going to limit his power? And then I also want to hear what your take is on the two for one uh, um, regulation kind of uh, mandate or proposal that President um, but the President Trump has put out there. That, to me, seems pretty creative. If we can get rid of two regulations for every new one passed, that you know might clean house a little bit. We'll take a break, folks. Continue the discussion. Presidential power and its battle with Congress. How do we keep that balance? Uh, Professor Andrew Rudolevich joins us from Maine. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us, Professor Andrew Rudolevich joins us. Uh, he is a professor of government at Bowdoin College and heads the President's and Executive Politics section of the American Political Science Association. Uh, Dr. Rudolevich, thank you for being with us. Hey, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, how do you pronounce your university? It's uh, Bowdoin, actually. Bowdoin. Like the clothing store. I like it. Bowdoin. Um, uh, yeah, only uh, we sell uh, even cooler clothing, of yeah, course. Yeah, for sure you do. Yeah, it. you've got all your logos on those on your yeah, sweatshirts. Yeah. Hey, talk to me. Do you think there's any way – I mean, President Trump talked it up big about how President Obama had you know overregulated and it needs mm-hmm. to be brought back into power. Is there any way he'll sign off and, and lose – more power as a president um, and and follow some of these ideas from Congress? Yeah, it's a very interesting question uh, because presidents, you know, they are, you know, individuals, of course, but they're also institutions, right? Right. They are designed to, you know, in a way just to protect the prerogatives of their office. And so it would be pretty interesting to me to see a president, uh, President Trump or anybody else, you know, sort of willingly give up some of his authority over the executive branch. Yeah, because um, that's permanent. Well, yeah, that, that'll yeah, be handed that, down. That's his legacy to the presidency. Well, it could be, yeah. Um, and that's something the presidents have tended to resist. They don't want to leave the office weaker than they found it. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see whether that comes through. I mean, it's one thing if you're President Trump to, to say how terrible all the Obama regulations were. Right. But right. over the course of a year or two, these are going to be Trump regulations. Exactly. And you might think that those are a little better. Yeah, totally. Those ones are thoughtful. Those ones are necessary. You know, the Obama ones, yeah, sure, get rid of those. But not yeah. Uh, these ones are, are mine. They're good. And you shouldn't, you know, you in Congress shouldn't be stomping on my uh, my authority as chief executive. Well, what do you think of his two for one regulation order? Well, it's an interesting idea. A lot is going to depend. You know, the proof is in the pudding right. on this kind of thing because the details really matter. Uh, you know, there have been efforts uh, in some of the European, uh, Western European uh, democracies to implement this kind of thing, and they've had some success. Uh, the question is trying to locate, uh, you know, orders that sort of match up in size with the new one that you want to do. I mean, it's, it's not going to do anything, obviously, if you have one big regulation come in and two really tiny ones go out. Uh, but you 
have to try to match up, and this is in the order, right? Try to match up the uh, the impact of those regulations yeah. uh, on the economy. Um, but how do you a identify them? Again, we come back to this sort of tricky issue of really specifying costs and benefits. Uh, but then, secondly, of course, one thing that has to be kept in mind is that um, you know there's something called the Administrative Procedure Act, um, which was passed back in the 1940s as the uh, I'm sorry, the late 1930s as the um, uh, Government's growing, right? And you have, you know, the uh, uh, expansion of the regulatory state in the first place. And so there were, you know, Congress and felt rightly so that you needed some kind of way to order this and right. make sure that the uh, the different agencies were just issuing regulations willy-nilly. So the Administrative Procedure Act puts in place uh, a fairly long process for, you know. Uh, publishing a draft regulation, and then you allow public comment on that draft regulation. Uh, then you make revisions and you respond to the various comments that came in. And then, only then, do you issue this final regulation, which has to be justified by the evidence in the public record. Uh, and if it's not, then there's cause for courts to step in uh, and try to overturn that regulation. We've seen that you know, with a number of presidents, maybe uh, most prominently right, a couple of Obama-era uh, environmental regulations are are still stuck in court, right? Um, and you know haven't gone into effect because of that process. So, um, you know, if you are uh, trying to do this two for one deal, um, you know, you all three of those regulations, right? The the one that you're putting in place and the two you're trying to get rid of, actually have to go through that same process. Yeah. Uh, so it's not quite as simple a matter as saying, well, the president told me to cancel two regulations. We can do that. You've got <laughs> to justify, you know, through this APA process and ultimately probably to a court that there's a reason to get rid of this regulation. Interesting. Is it I, – I, it seems like in a way it's easier for the president to – uh, to get rid of um, through executive order, past executive orders, than it is for Congress to do anything about it. Yeah, well, presidents, I mean, an executive order can, you know, can matter quite a lot when it's issued, but it's also pretty fragile. Yeah. A subsequent president can get rid of it with another executive order. Uh, whereas Congress, which can also get rid of executive orders, has to pass a law to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we know, Congress has a hard time, you know, coming together to pass even things that there might be widespread agreement on, uh, you know, much less things that are very controversial. Yeah. Uh, no, Congress can act, right? Remember, uh, President Obama, you know, promised early in his term that he would close uh, the Guantanamo Bay detention facility. Um, and he was not able to do that because right. Congress... Uh, Congress basically passed budget bills that you know refused to, to spend any money on uh, detaining those particular people anywhere else, and so you know that sort of checkmated the president. And that can happen, right? Again, executive orders uh, flow from statute, or they flow from your direct constitutional authority. They're not supposed to be made up out of whole cloth, and so you know Congress or the courts can weigh in. On how those are implemented. Right. It's pretty easy for a president to uh, just rescind an executive order or to revoke it. Um, again, the, uh, there's a, a process for doing that, but that's a lot easier than going through the legislative process. What, what do you sense going forward? I mean, Trump, President Trump's only been in you know, less than 60 days and a lot of furor, a lot of, uh, a lot of intrigue going on. But, you know, he's, he's avowed that he's, he and his staff, Ob, Steve O'Bannon, said we've got to tear down the administrative state, mm-hmm. which is, I'm assuming, is really part, mostly the regulatory state as well. And um, 
do, do you see that there will be a lot of movement uh, in shrinking the size of government? And did our forefathers ever anticipate this much regulation? Okay, yeah, lots of good questions in there. Uh, well, the administrative state, as you suggest, really is you know just a description of the <clears throat> the pretty large bureaucracy that's grown up over the course of the last you know not quite a hundred years. Yeah, you know, with a with a, an eye towards delivering services that yeah, I think it's certainly true people didn't expect the federal government to be delivering. The tricky part, I guess, for deconstruction of that state is that all of those were created for a reason, which is that people wanted them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, uh, by vote. You know, when by, you have uh, right. you know, economic collapse in the New Deal, people wanted regulation of Wall Street. They wanted uh, the creation of things like Social Security, later Medicare. Um, you know, the, so the growth of you know, federal regulation you know, follows partly the fact that we're a much more nationalized country than we were, you know, back in the 18th century. Yeah. It took a week to, you know, cross state lines. Um, now, with instantaneous communication and uh, transportation, you know, it's uh, a much more connected country and national regulation makes more sense. Um, there was, of course, also during the 1960s, um, you know, a lot of expansion of federal power in part because the states were, you know, not providing equal protection of the law to all of their citizens, right? And so the creation of the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, you know, are expansions of federal power that are reacting again to uh, state behavior uh, that mm. was not ideal. Um, and so, you know, scaling all of that back means you have to identify things that people don't want the federal government to do. The problem is we all can think of something we don't want the federal government to do, but it's probably not the same thing, right? I could name right. five things that I think are annoying about federal regulation, but they might be a different five things than you. Um, and so to, you know, to actually scale that back in a systematic way is going to be difficult, uh, partly because, again, all of these programs have constituencies. And so when we think, yeah, the agriculture department, there's 100,000 people there, we should we could really wipe that back or we're giving way too much money to right. farmers for not growing food and so forth. And yet, of course, uh, you know, farmers would have a rather different argument about that. And, uh, you know, we might also, you know, when we visit the supermarket, uh, want to make sure that we're, you know, providing a wide range of produce and so forth. So it's a, you know, these issues get tricky pretty fast. Um, <laughs> and this is something I think the, uh, the Trump administration is finding out, um, you know, these, the the government is created by Congress. It's not created by the president. And uh, Congress, you know, again, has an interest in protecting the parts of the government that help its constituencies. Right. So there, you're always going to be able to find somebody, you know, on a committee or subcommittee who's going to work, you know, you know, his or her hardest to make sure that this program, you know, that might help fishermen or farmers or auto mechanics or what have you, right, is going to stay around. Um, It never ends. Yeah. So when you come to, you know, so President Trump has put a number of processes in place for these executive orders, you know, uh, talking about reorganizing the federal government or rolling back regulations, revisiting, you know, uh, you know, certain parts of, you know, more recent regulation, you know, whether it be the Dodd-Frank law or, um, you know, environmental protection, right? And that, you know, that will have an effect, right? Yeah. You know, that that yeah. will be revisited, uh, but it will not be immediate. And, 
you know, it's hard to know whether that will have a, a long-lasting impact. Uh, President Nixon actually tried to reorganize the federal government pretty systematically. He wanted to cut the number of departments down from, I think it was 11 at the time, to something like four major departments, um, mm. you know, to sort of get rid of duplication yeah. and so forth. And this, you know, basically went nowhere. Well, uh, because that, members of Congress were, you know, wanted to protect their own jurisdictions. That's it. And, and you see that there is so much duplication. There's, I mean, every department has similar committees and or similar groups and uh and and responsibilities oh, i don't know how and the te- it just seems like those tentacles grow out and get embedded and after 20 30 40 years i don't know how you remove you know all the oak brush it's everywhere it's taken over but uh, we appreciate your insight professor andrew rudelevich thank you so much from bowdoin university bowdoin college up in maine and your time your insights on this Folks, it's complicated. So when a politician like President Trump throws an idea out there that we're going to cut back regulation, that's great. Doing it is a whole other ballgame, whole other ballgame, as Professor Rudolevich taught us. We'll take a break, come back. Doesn't mean, by the way, it doesn't need to be done. And maybe a little uh, trimming could help a lot. But then you get to the questions, what are we going to cut? And uh, how do we decide? Crazy stuff. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Just all you got to do is go in and pull, just pull a regulation, just grab it and just pull it out. Right. I mean, like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen if you just grab a regulation, just maybe an old one, maybe from the 70s, just grab it and just pull it out. Simple. Is everything from the 70s old? Yeah. Okay. I was there. Me too, apparently. But but it's just not that easy. No, you, you start pulling on it and all of a sudden <laughs> they're connected to other things or built upon other things. 70s music this is good cop show. music. This is hey, pull out the regulation music. Just reach in, grab it, just start pulling. It's like a weed. It's not that easy. But I think the process that the president has put down is if you're going to pull, you're going to put in a new regulation, you have to pull out two. Well, yeah, but it's complicated. What what that would end up doing is having everyone look at all the regulations. That's really what he's trying to do. No, I love that idea. I think that's brilliant. But he's also, for example, saying to the State Department, you got to, you got to cut and he's probably given them a number. You got to cut your budgets. You got to yep. cut everything. You start pulling on one country's program of, you know, AIDS fighting AIDS program and it goes to 70 countries and employs 400 people. Right. It's crazy. And he's supposed goes. to be the jobs president. Yeah. I know. He might be you might be losing jobs if we keep pulling regs, but you got to have regs or this thing's going to just be suffocated. It reminds me of just, you know, the oak brush in my yard that just takes over. Crazy! All right, folks. It ain't easy being president. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, more fun, more ideas to help you live longer, love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy Pie Day. I love pie, but I don't think it means this pie. No, it's the 3.14 blah, 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 blah. How about a pizza pie? Ah, uh, this is a Greek pizza pie. Um, hmm. Happy Pie Day. The need that for we pie. We've established this already. It's as old as the wheel itself, and many techniques have been tried in many cultures to capture this elusive number in mathematics. The reach for the whole of this number was difficult, with ancient mathematical cultures only being able to barely find out to the seventh decimal, and Indian mathematicians, some of the greatest of their time, could only manage to decipher it to five. Pi, 3.14159265359. A number that I don't care to remember. I can just barely remember 3.14. The record for finding consecutive numbers from 3.14 onward to the final digit is held by Fabrice Bellard, who announced in January, and this is in 2010, that he had calculated pi to 2.7 trillion digits. Why? It's a challenge. Wow. I guess that's it. You know, when it comes to pizza pie, the only number I care about is the delivery guy's phone number. That's true. And three pieces. That's all I need. Two and a half, even. Ah, oh, I love pie. Next time, eat 3.14 but slices. Pie or cake? If you had to choose, pie or cake? Cake. Because with pie, there has to be ice cream with it. Really? Yeah. Okay. I think we should have a pie today. Maybe Terry could run and buy us a pie. So that was in 2010, the $2.7 trillion? Did he hear me? I just saw this 2016 in March. It was said it was at, uh, what did it say, 13.3 trillion? You know what? So now we're just, we're getting supercomputers doing it for us. We're yeah. not really even figuring this out anymore. Yeah. I mean, think of the old mathematicians that just look at you like a waste of space because you need a computer. Right. I uh, I don't know. I personally, for some reason, I I like Pie Day, but I really like Potato Chip Day, which we're also celebrating today. Yeah. I would rather have potato chips than pie. I prefer the salty instead of the sweet mm. when I go for my snack. And Jeff's going for his right now. Do you like the kettle chip? Do you like just your normal, traditional potato chip? I like the kettle chip, but it, it loads up my gallbladder. Mm-hmm. And probably makes me an instrument of death. Need a roto-rooter type situation. Yeah. This slice of bread is a bit stale. What? I don't know if you could hear that. No. It was a bit stale. I'll take another bite. Oh. Oh, that's bread? No, it's gone a little bad. Yeah, you're going to need some. <laughs> Something to wash that down with. You, you're going to need some new bread. Uh, it's also International Ask a Question Day. It's is not- it? Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. It's not, you're not dumb if you have to ask a question. Are you sure? Yeah, I am. Are you going to do this all day? You're not just saying that because it's written on the paper, are you? Oh, aren't I? 
Don't ask. No, that's not a question. Dang it. Okay. And scene. Good job. <laughs> that was fun. We're going to play games all day long. We've got a lot to cover today. Um, what if you want or need therapy, but you don't want to go to a therapist? Hmm. Here is when you can't afford therapy, a few do-it-yourselfers from a therapist. Get hired at BYU Radio and work across the desk from Matt Townsend. We've done nothing but help you and your family. Think of that. Do you remember the first time I met you? Recently paroled, and we then have taken you to this whole new level. Don't yeah, I'm really enjoying this work release program. <laughs> Someday you're going to get paid. And get that issue expunged from your record. It'll be great. That's right. It was a minor. Matt knows some people who cleared it. It was a minor offense. Minor offense. Um, we'll, we'll be talking with uh, Jessica Thompson, uh, actually replaying an interview we did with her about you know how to do your own therapy on now, yourself. She lives in Jamaica. Oh, what a great – that's it's a great place to begin. So self-therapy, start with location. Yeah. It's always location, location, location. Go to a positive place like Jamaica. Jamaica, man. We'll be heading to Jamaica then. Also, we um, will be doing some empty news, lots of fun stories from everything from a little Taco Bell uh, marriage mm. proposal. I mean, if you could be dressed in anything when you get married – what would you want on your dress? We'll, huh. t- we'll talk. This this person had a what? little throwback to Taco Bell. What would you want on your dress? Oh yeah, what would preferably you want? nothing. What would you want your dress made of? Oh, there we go. Yeah, probably fabric, no nope. some kind. No, really, no. What if I told you Taco Bell like burrito wrappers? Sounds kind of greasy. Used or unused. Let's go with unused. Yeah. Because that used would be gross. Although I'm guessing, I'm guessing, unless she works at a Taco Bell, the employees are not just going to hand her a thousand unused wrappers. I'm going to bet they would. (laughs) Have you met these workers? Anyway, we'll see. We'll find out. It's a fun story straight ahead. Um, All that. But first. Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? Thousands of flights were preemptively canceled on Tuesday in anticipation for what could be the biggest blizzard of the year. The storm forecast to bring heavy snows and strong winds across the East Coast that could reduce visibility to a quarter mile or less for several hours, making travel nearly impossible in many areas, the National Weather Service warned in a statement late Monday. As of early today, 5,400 flights into or out of the U.S. were canceled, while an additional 87 were delayed. Three New York area airports accounted for nearly half the cancellations, more than 2,600 in total for uh, John F. Kennedy, LaGuardia, and Newark Liberty airports. Boston, Baltimore, Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C. airports also reported significant numbers of cancelizations, right? Yeah. Rest of the nation, we're probably okay. Cancellations. Cancelizations. you got to put a Z in there. Okay. I didn't know it was spelled that way. It's a Northeastern thing. I'm still figuring out pie. <laughs> The White House on Monday said it strenuously disagrees with the Congressional Budget Office, uh, their analysis of the Republican health care replacement plan. The nonpartisan budget analysis agency projected in its report that 14 million individuals would lose health insurance coverage in 2018 under the House GOP's plan to repeal the Affordable Care Act. 
Additionally, the CBO estimates the figure would increase to 24 million people without insurance by 2026. Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price, however, stresses that the GOP proposal goes beyond the House bill and that it will lower costs to cover more individuals. Hmm. Also, there's been calls to, you know, we don't need the Congressional Budget Office. It's it's a corrupt organization. And it's like, isn't it like the guy running it, a Trump appointee? And like, well, yeah, but it's still corrupt. Yeah. Yeah, it's an activist organization. You know, activist judges. Sure. The judge rules against you. They're an activist. That's how it works. Moving on, the White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer was hounded by NBC News's Peter Alexander during a Monday press briefing about President Trump's credibility. Pressing Spicer about Trump's many contradictory statements, Alexander asked Spicer point blank if we if we can believe what the president says. Do you have anything more? The bottom line is the question that you still have not answered is can I we can you say can you say affirmatively that whenever the president says something, we can trust it to be real? If he's not joking, of course. I mean, but in that case, hold on. But but no, no, you're asking. Hold on. Okay, no, no. But your point is, if he's, ha- I mean, he every time that he speaks authoritatively, he that he speaks, he's that he's speaking as president of the United States. Like it's a, more than three million Americans voted illegally. Was yes, that, and he, he still speaking? believes he that. Joking or does he believe it? He does believe it. Thank you, Joe. Wow. And then it went on from there. So the question is. How do we know when he's joking? Is he going to put a tweet and put JK at the back end of it? Are you just joking or just kidding? JK, smile. Well, I mean, smiley face, thumbs up. If you if you know how to tweet, you know if he's joking. <coughs> just read he it. You could do you know. the uh, the P O O P emoji. Yeah, it's my favorite. In light of that, the White House walk was spent. A good portion of yesterday, walking back to President Trump's allegations against former President Obama, White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer on Monday said President Trump's controversial wiretapping allegations against the former president were met generally, not literally. Oh, you guys took me literally? Because in the tweets, there were quotation marks around wiretapping. Right. Well, two of them. The other two, because there was four in total, the other two, there was no quotation marks. So we're still trying to figure out what that means. Well, yeah. You know what quotes mean, that it's it's figurative. It's not literal. Right. They didn't, they didn't tap wires. They tapped microwaves. Well, that was walked back, too, because okay. she said Kellyanne Conway mentioned, you know, they're tapping yeah. microwaves. And then she said, I'm not Inspector Gadget, so I don't know... Oh. How to do that. I'm not sure how Inspector Gadget worked into that, but she said yeah. that also. Well, how do we know she's not? Absolutely. Because maybe she was – who knows if she was joking? Who do you trust anymore? And finally, the uh, where would you go to hire a hitman? Well, I would – I'd go to the Yellow Pages. Okay. Hits are us. Hits are us. That's where I hired my last one. These people ended up in an olive garden. Really? Yeah, I'm not sure why. So the Olive Garden isn't exactly the place that comes to mind when thinking of the best spot to meet your hitman. But police allege that that's exactly what happened in Texas. A Houston couple have been charged with solicitation of capital murder in connection with an alleged plot to have both their exes killed. The couple, unwittingly, of course, ended up with a hitman who's working for the Houston Police Department. This according to the uh, county DA. Prosecutors say police arranged for an undercover officer to pose as a hitman. And at that meeting at the Olive Garden, the couple offered to pay $20,000 and along with two Cartier watches. Wow. Not not, not a bad little payday there for the uh, fake uh, hitman. That's a good hit. The woman's ex-husband was allegedly to be killed in what was supposed to be appear as a, uh, a bungled carjacking. The ex-husbands and then the ex-wife, they... So, in other words, you had the, 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 the boyfriend and girlfriend trying to off their exes. Yeah. The cops figured out what was going on. They contacted the exes, right? <laughs> they took photographs staging what looked like 
their deaths. Wow. And then they came back to the Olive Garden to present the photographs so that the money would change hands so they could arrest the people. That's what they did. Did they get them? Yeah, they did. <laughs> so what So what are the charges? Conspiracy to commit yep. murder? Uh-huh. Uh, what else? There's a whole grundle of them. Sheesh. I, I usually skip the charges because they, yeah. they got arrested for being Not, stupid, yeah. really. What about bribing an officer? Yeah. Could they get them on that one? Breadsticks. Well, they, they didn't know it was an officer. But the breadsticks, they probably still those have plenty of Those are the best breadsticks. Mm. Yeah, so the cops went so far as to stage the the murders. So wow. That, they came back and had no, all the evidence he, for it. No, make, put his arm, yeah, right there. Okay, now he looks dead. <laughs> I think there'd be more blood. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I was a little so the story's like, okay, I thought maybe if you just do the transaction yeah. that you're done, but no, they had to go through and then the money because, had to because well, the, yeah. they were paid after, of course. You, we, I didn't mean I didn't mean kill them. You never pay for services before they're complete. That's right. You have to deliver the service before you hand over the cash. This is great information if you're planning a hit. This was a good faith murder though. This is this is these people are hiring someone to murder someone. At an olive garden. Casually discussing it at an Olive Garden. A casual dining. Yes, yeah. we'll have more salad. Thank you. Keep it coming. <laughs> this is crazy. I would like more cheese. Thank you. Uh, please, yes. I'll tell you when. <laughs> and when. So getting back to the murder. <laughs> anyway, what were you saying about the murder? That's crazy. Oh, man. What's happening to this world? Murder so casually discussed. Well, let me help you. Uh, a woman hopes to marry in a dress made of Taco Bell wrappers. Finally. <laughs> the wedding of one woman's dreams will take place in a Taco Bell while she's wearing a dress made of burrito wrappers. At this point, she might already be married. Well, I'm sure. If this you is, look it up, you could see the dress, I think. This is a Taco Bell chapel, by the way. Really? No, it's a restaurant. The winner of Taco Bell's Love and Tacos contest gets an all-expense-paid trip to Las Vegas. Of course. Capital of, I guess... Quickies. Quick weird marriages. Quickie weddings. uh, To Las Vegas to get married in a chapel at the chain's flagship restaurant. The wedding venue opens to the public later this year. Diane Yen uh, entered the contest with an Instagram picture of herself wearing a burrito wrapper dress while holding a tray with her fiancé in front of a Taco Bell counter. She writes that Taco Bell has been there for the couple throughout their years, and the couple's love is as cheesy as a quesadilla. Taco Bell's been there through the tough times. (laughs) I remember the first time we broke up, and he brought me over uh, an empanada, Uh, and I looked in his eyes, and I just felt love. (laughs) Ah, be nacho supreme, but it's fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, anyway, the, the ice cream scoop of hamburger on top, which probably might not be hamburger. We don't know. That ain't ice cream. I had a friend that worked there once. He said a lot of it came out of a powdered substance. Hmm. Yeah. So you know, don't, good thing you eat at Taco Bell. Don't ruin <laughs> that. You know, surprisingly um, enough, this is not the first Tex-Mex wedding theme that we've had. Hmm. You know, we did some digging through our archives and found a recording of a rather touching ceremony officiated by an inspired or at least a hungry priest. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to witness the union of a man and a woman that is just as sacred as the union of a KFC and a Taco Bell. 
You must be willing to tell each other, I want you, as frequently and with as much conviction as when the famed Chihuahua said, Yo quiero Taco Bell. Commit to this union, though others may tell you it's a crazy idea. <coughs> Cheetos burritos. <clears throat> Excuse me. At times you will experience seasonings of change, not unlike the metamorphosis of a crunchy taco into a nacho cheese Doritos Locos Taco Supreme. You will need to learn to adapt to such change and embrace its deliciousness. And there will be times when you need to beef up your marriage, perhaps by taking some salsa lessons and learning when to tell your friends to let us alone. May your love remain crunchy and not stale with the passage of time. And, like the grilled stuffed burrito, may your marriage remain full and securely intact with a side of hot sauce. You may now exchange double-decker tacos. Oh. I don't know what it is, but these weddings always make me cry. That was beautiful. Where'd you find that? And delicious. And good for you. That was a great. That's great. That's great audio. Um, there's just something about your vows, you know. Even if it's coming from the priest. He was just eloquent. He made a good point, though. I mean, how special is it when a KFC and a Taco Bell are joined together? Oh, if they can make it work. I mean, they're completely different worlds, right? If they can make it work, why couldn't every marriage? It's just a great combination. I love it. Thank you, Jeff, again, for bringing... Such beauty to the show. We will take a break, folks. When we come back, how to do-it-yourself therapy. You don't, you don't have to just suffer. Maybe there's some things you could be doing to manage your own emotion. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, you know, therapy can be immensely helpful and conducive to actual healing. And today, many people are positively engaged in therapy of all of all sorts, of all types. As early as 2004, a survey from the American Psychological Association reported that nearly half of American households had some seeking mental health help in that year. Going to therapy, however, may not always be possible for financial reasons. Our guest today, Jessica Thompson, is a therapist who recently wrote an article for BuzzFeed entitled, Here's How to Do Therapy on Yourself, According to a Therapist. She joins us now live from Jamaica. Is that right, Miss Thompson? Are you in Jamaica? Yeah, that, is, that is correct. That's some good therapy right there. <laughs> the sunshine really does wonders. It does, doesn't it? It's good to have yeah. you on the show with us. Uh, because, I mean, therapy, it's... I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to go to therapy, but mm-hmm. they need the help. And then some can't necessarily afford it because insurance right. doesn't always cover what you need. Talk to mm-hmm. us about, uh, can you really do therapy on yourself? Um, in a sense, 
the this article came about because I was thinking about I, I had a conversation with my friend here in Jamaica about the state of mental health care and how there's still a really big stigma about getting help even when you need it. And so I started to think about what are the things that I tell my clients most often because even clients that have been in therapy before have been resistant to even call it therapy. I think that's just kind right. of a buzzword that people are a little bit um, hesitant to even say. So yeah. I would, I mean, in a work setting, I would call uh, a meeting with a client a check-in rather than therapy, even though we were doing therapy. And so what I'm suggesting in this article are therapeutic techniques that I would suggest to people who are currently in therapy because when you're kind of trying to address emotional issues it's not just that you go see somebody for an hour a week um it really starts to take effect when you use the techniques that you learn mm. in your everyday life and they kind of just become a part of your mental landscape yeah and, and i love that because it, that i wrote are, are kind of things that you can do on your own just to change your perspective a right bit. because it, i mean I, I already see in my own practice many therapists mm-hmm. calling it coaching Um, you know, or helping to, you know, mentor or other things like Mm -hmm. that. And so really what you're talking about, there's just certain skills that therapists are trying, many times are trying to just um, help their their clients, their people learn. And it's not the therapy that matters as much as the the activity in the, you Mm -hmm. know, doing these activities. Mm -hmm. So so what are some of the activities that we need to to get good at And, and we could even do ourselves? Well, I talked about five. Um, I think the one that I talk about most often is just to challenge yourself to think positive thoughts. And it sounds like a really simple thing to do, but a lot of times our brain becomes used to thinking negatively, like something doesn't go your way and you immediately blame yourself or think something really um, extreme, like use words like always and never, like, oh, I always mess up or things never go my way. And then that kind of can influence your thoughts, your feelings, and then your behaviors Hmm. because it really influences the way that you approach situations. And And you can do that, right? You can take a negative thought and you suggest replace it with two positive ones. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Just so that it changes the habit that you have of thinking a negative thought into thinking a positive thought. And perspective really goes a long way. It sounds really a little bit too simple to be true, but it it really is. Well, and I can just imagine if, if you're my therapist and I came and saw you, I can hear me talking about this happened and this was negative and this was negative, and then you could eventually notice that I have negative thinking. Um, mm-hmm. And then you assign me, okay, this, this week what I want you to do is try to take a negative thought and replace it with two positive ones. That feedback you just gave me, I now need to go do. Right. Or none of this is going to work. Exactly, exactly. And that's, the, that's kind of the essence of what I was writing, that it's, it's much more accessible than it seems because these are things that you can just do and it doesn't have to take a whole lot of energy or a whole lot of time to, to do these things that can ultimately be really helpful in changing your mood and to help you to reach your emotional goals. Hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that is so like a no-brainer. Like, let's just start there. Another one, though, that you mentioned that seems so big is just emotions. We it mm-hmm. seems like a lot of people probably come to see you because their emotion they feel like their emotions are getting away from them. Right. What yes, do we do I there? Think... Pardon? What do we do about our emotions? 
Um, well, I think, I mean, that's such a broad question. I think it depends on what emotions you're, you're dealing with here. Um, but a lot of what I do, especially in Jamaica, is normalizing emotions because I think that um, we live in a time in which it's frowned upon to show emotions or discuss emotions, and that's part of the reason why even going to therapy or talking about therapy is so difficult because it, it's, it's sort of it's almost like it means something bad about you that right. you, you, you need therapy or that you want therapy. And this accusation it's become of being emotional is often used to discredit people's thoughts and feelings. Like, oh, you're just being emotional and I don't have to take you seriously. And so in my experience, a lot of my work has just come from kind of taking that apart and helping people who struggle with discussing and showing emotions and talking to people about how they feel um, because everyone receives these messages that it's not okay to do that. Mm-hmm. There's this discomfort that's kind of associated with it. And, I mean, as humans, we all feel emotions, and it's natural to experience a range of emotions like anger or nervousness or disappointment or feeling hurt by someone else. And um, suppressing emotions is not normal, and it's it's pretty damaging because emotions that have gone unchecked can intensify and seep out into your life in ways that you don't even realize until it's already happened. Yeah. So really, I guess part of it, too, that is just simply therapeutic is saying um, emotions aren't necessarily good or bad. They're just normal. That's just who you right. are. You should have these. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because if you don't feel them, then you're a robot. And, yeah. You know, <laughs> that's, we're, all, we're all human. It's, it's a very, very normal part of our lives as humans. And and I guess part of the benefit of therapy it would be to go in and share my emotions with mm-hmm. somebody. I guess that's part of what I could do too. If I recognize my emotions are normal, not making me strong or weak, mm-hmm. then I could I could just choose to start sharing them more with healthy people. Right, right, exactly. And I mean, the advantage of going to see a therapist or a psychologist is that this person is an objective person. Sometimes it can be difficult to share with people close to you because it makes them feel bad. But I have found that um, a lot of my clients tell me that when they do finally open up to somebody close to them, it's a really relieving thing because it's, it's not often met with the negative reaction that they think that it will be met with. It's often met with like, oh, I'm... I'm just so happy you told me this. You're not alone. I don't want you to feel alone. And then they build a sense of togetherness from that. And it's often very helpful. Well, and it is. I guess that's the powerful thing that all of us could probably learn, too, is Mm -hmm. with our loved ones to learn to help them, you know, share their emotions with us and and be the Mm -hmm. healthy partner instead of somebody that keeps creating harder or more difficult emotions. Right. Exactly. Powerful. Talk about one of the things, that, another one of your points is that we need to limit our wallowing time. So explain that. Well, it's, it's good to feel your feelings because, you know, you recognize that they're normal and it's okay to feel that. But um, sometimes it can be good to dwell on your emotions because it gives you time to think about and better understand what you're experiencing, which I, I encourage because, I mean, if we live in this world where we're not really supposed to talk about or explore our emotions, then we can't really understand them. And that's a big part of humanity that we're missing out on, mm. kind of getting to know ourselves in that way. But if you find yourself doing this for an extended period of time, it's, I, I tell people that it's important to try and break that cycle. Otherwise, you'll kind of spend all day in this mood and... Um, you 
you kind of want to avoid having it affect your everyday life. Yeah. Um, and it can be a slippery slope, and you'll end up just feeling awful all day. So, um, like, for example, a technique for anxiety is to set a time of day just to worry. So you kind of tell yourself throughout your day, okay, I'm not going to worry, I'm not going to worry, I'm not going to worry, and then at 5.30, 10 minutes of worry. And then that's when you let the anxiety in, and yeah. then you feel it, and then you set a timer. And once that 10 minutes is up, then you're finished. And you, you kind of put the worries aside. I've also heard of people using a specific place, like uh, I've read about someone having a worry chair, just a specific chair in their home that they sit in just to worry. And then when they get up, they put it aside and focus on something else. Hmm. And so it's a, it's a similar concept to limit your wallowing time. It, it allows you to be present and mindful of your emotions while also allowing you to move on with your day or night in a productive way. Yeah, and, and not letting it creep into everything you mm-hmm. do all day. Yeah. Right. Which, which, exactly. which is so strange to me, Jessica, because it's, I guess what we're also saying is your anxiousness, your, your uh, wallowing need to wallow, it's very much in your control. Yeah, and that's is. which is so refreshing, right? And that's mm-hmm. that's to know that I can control this more uh, should be freeing. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you you certainly can, and that's something that's that's often one of the goals of therapy to learn control of these things. Because I think that a lot of times we feel like if we do let the emotions in, then they'll just completely consume us. And um, I, I feel like that might be part of this um, this desire to not feel. Because then you're in control all the time, right? But, yeah. You know, emotions are these kind of out there things that it's just perceived as this very chaotic um, experience when we're the ones having the emotions and our brains are so much more powerful than we think they are. And we control our brains. So Absolutely. We have a lot more influence over how we react to things than we think we do. Yeah. Let's take a break um, and continue this discussion in a minute. We're speaking with Jessica Thompson, uh, author of the article, Here's How to Do Therapy on Yourself, According to a Therapist. She's a BuzzFeed contributor and uh, wrote that article uh, there with BuzzFeed. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion about uh, how to do your own therapy on yourself, how to find that peace, normalize some of your emotions, and... um, and improve and create better health. We'll be right back. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're speaking about uh, how to do therapy on yourself, and it's an article written by Jessica Thompson, who holds a Master's of Science in Counseling Psychology from Northeastern University in Boston and uh, currently lives and works in her hometown of Kingston, Jamaica. She uh, wrote the article on BuzzFeed, and I thought it was just fascinating. Man, what if we could sit down and actually learn to perform um, therapy on ourselves, and Jessica's joining us from uh, Kingston, Jamaica, to give us uh, her insight on her article. Jessica, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You bet. Appreciate your insight on all of this. And basically what you're saying is when you go to a therapist anyway, there's just certain skills or tools they're trying to instill or share, and um, some of them you've already taught us are to recognize that your emotions are normal, 
Mm-hmm. But limit your wallowing time um, and then counter every negative thought with two positive ones. Mm-hmm. All skills that we could go practice right now. Um, now. Another point you bring up is to turn our focus outwards towards other people. How How is that helping us? Well, sometimes when we focus too much on ourselves, our mind tricks us into thinking that our experiences are totally unique, and that's very an isolating feeling. And so we start to feel like we're alone and that nobody really understands what we're going through, um, And so, which is not at all true, by the way. So a good way to get out of this is to turn your focus outwards and do something with or for someone else. So um, say you can go and do a favor for a friend, um, cook something, um, Volunteer. You could volunteer at a local charity. Hmm. Um, call someone just to ask about their day or talk to someone around you about something going on in the news or in their lives. Um, and this, not only does it feel good to interact with other people and in some cases be helpful to them, but it takes your mind off of whatever was bothering you before. Um, and human interaction significantly improves your mood in most cases because humans are social beings. And so there's a lot of research done on community of feeling like you're part of a community and part of something with other people and even human touch like hugging is very therapeutic i recently read that like a 10 second hug actually releases a happy hormone in Mm. your brain so um, focusing outwards can really help just because if we're too inwards then kind of starts to snowball into this cycle of negativity and it's and I, I mean that's what's so interesting. It seems like with a lot of the people I work with, it, mm-hmm. all they really need is um, is if they can't get the thoughts out of themselves, then they just end up stewing in their head, spinning yeah. on the thought. And you're saying maybe just redirect the attention from inside of yourself to outside mm-hmm. of yourself. Right, yeah. I mean, even watching a TV show or a movie can be helpful because then your attention shifts from your story to someone else's. Yeah. And then if I'm serving another person, it might even take it to another level because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing I'm doing good for some other human. Right, absolutely. Powerful. Absolutely. And that, that feels great. Yeah. I mean, again, ther- that, that is, I guess, the definition of therapy is, is yeah. feeling better um, right. and, and, and doing something that takes you kind of to a healthier level. Wow. And really, it's because one of my concerns about a lot of therapeutic practices is they they sometimes might make us almost more self-centered, more Mm -hmm. self-focused, more self-absorbed. And this seems to take it the completely opposite direction. Right. Yeah. This is um, turning focus outward. I I learned that from studying a little bit of DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, which was designed for um, borderline personality disorder, which is characterized by really intense emotional experiences. And so in order to still be able to function, I mean, you want to have a level of introspection and kind of knowing what's going on within you, but then you also want to still do daily things. And turning outwards is a really great way of shifting your attention so that you can focus on continuing to live. Yeah. I mean, that's another big part of therapy for me. Like, I want people to be functional. And, I mean, a colleague of mine said that one of her old professors described us in the mental health profession as we're the only people who are trying to put ourselves out of a job. Yeah. Like, I don't want you to need me indefinitely. I want to be able to give you these skills, and then you do them yourselves, and then you you function in a way that you want to function. Mm. 
I mean, how would it be if we could put everyone out of business? Uh, even if we could just empower people more to handle, I mean, there's always going to be chemical issues and other issues, right. but I guess that would get more into the medical side than even mm-hmm. the therapeutic side. Talk mm-hmm. about uh, your last point you bring up. Your first point was that emotions are normal. And mm-hmm. so the the final tool you give us is that we need to find a way to, to let our emotions out mm-hmm. in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Because some people can get their emotions taken care of by just medicating. Right. Or, or, you know, self-medicating or getting into an addiction or mm-hmm. some of us don't try to get our emotions out. We just we just stuff them and avoid and fake it. Right. Yeah. What should we do to get our emotions out in a safer way? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I like to suggest writing. I think writing is a great one because it's, it's very accessible. Um, you don't have to be this amazing, talented artist to utilize, to, to utilize this form of emotional release and um, freeform writing, just if you're having a moment of, of an intense emotion like sadness or anxiety, just write whatever it is that you're thinking and feeling and then keep writing, keep writing, keep writing. And a lot of times I wouldn't even say that you should go back and read it because just the act of writing is enough to let it out. Yeah. And I've done this myself before, and it, it really is helpful in settling my mind and also just having to focus on something, like writing what you're thinking. It's, it's, it kind of helps you to focus less on what you're feeling so that you can kind of dig yourself out of this, this emotional hole. And mm. a lot of people journal and find it to be really helpful. So that can be therapeutic, and if you are a bit more artistically inclined, painting or coloring also works really well because people respond to colors. Like some colors can be emotionally charged, like yellows tend to be more calming, and reds are more vibrant, and oranges and colors like that. And um, I had a client who loved to make jewelry because the repetitive act of stringing beads hmm. can be really calming. And that also focuses your attention, and it's kind of a form of meditation, because meditation really is just, one form of meditation is just focusing on a single point and blocking everything else out and being fully present. And so doing something like making jewelry or knitting or weaving or um, really anything that's repetitive that you can just kind of do and focus on that, then that can be that can be really therapeutic. And it gets the energy out. I've noticed that mm-hmm. it allows you to actually dis, you know dissipate the energy. And then I guess one of the downsides sometimes is that you want to go back and read it, but by reading it, you might just be reinfecting yourself right. with the thought. Yeah, and then yeah. you just remind yourself why you were upset in the first place. Yeah, and then you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about it, and then you right, feel it again. Exactly, exactly. And, I mean, I know that this is why a lot of people tell me that they find running to be so therapeutic because not only is it repetitive, you have to make sure that it's just one foot in front of the other Mm. and you're paying attention to your form and then you start to pay attention to your breathing and that in itself can be a form of meditation. Right. Yeah, and you are so present. That's another great way to let your emotions out. Exercise. Right. Exercise is clinically proven to change your brain. I mean, 20 minutes of rigorous exercise changes your brain and reduces anxiety it's like a reset button oh man and if you could mm-hmm. if you could be running and knitting at the same time at the right? same time and writing something you'd be into yeah. something there really it's is the power though level huh? of meditation yeah and then these are habits these are things that you can get into mm-hmm. um and they're therapeutic and i mean like the neat thing i mean if you're going to watch tv kind of mindlessly anyway 
Right. Uh, there might be something more powerful to, to doing something that actually you see as a hobby, you see as value add, like go make a necklace or right. be, you know, string together some beads and then go give those to somebody, starts integrating exactly. two or three of your ideas together. Exactly. And a lot of these are either free, like running, you, all you need is just your body. And yeah, legs. Right. You may have, exactly. Or, or writing. I mean, you have a pen and paper handy, so it doesn't have to be uh, – really expensive and definitely these can just be everyday things that's kind of what i wanted to do just help to give people tools of you don't need to go out and buy anything extra it's just something that you'll have laying around that you can utilize to your advantage mm, i love it no I, th- and I think it's so healthy for all of this um jessica as we wrap this up is there one thing that i just think of kind of the average mom that's maybe stressed feeling anxious maybe feeling like they're not succeeding what is um, or dad, you know, that that can't get a hold of, get get ahead of his life? What would you say is is the one thing that we should all remember? That's a that's just the great foundation for um, emotional healing. Mm-hmm. Um, positive self talk, definitely. I would say that this is the the number one thing because. Um, self-talk is basically just what you tell yourself. You're talking to yourself, and if you are constantly feeding yourself negative messages, then you start to see yourself in a negative light. Mm. And um, so it's important to tell yourself good things. Like I started to, at the end of the day, write down five good things that happened in that day, and they didn't have to be extraordinary things. They could just be like, you know, I caught a bunch of green lights today, and that was a nice thing that happened. And so... By feeding yourself positive messages, then it can change your narrative. Yeah. And that's tremendously helpful in your emotional health because, I mean, you mentioned like someone who can't, who feels like they can't get ahead of themselves. I mean, maybe their perspective is that way because they're telling themselves that. So instead, you could be like, well, I'm successful in a lot of other things. And um, then it kind of allows you to stay motivated because you see yourself in this positive way. Right. Oh, that's mm-hmm. powerful. I mean, it really is. And it's it's something that we can catch and, and do ourselves. Well, Jessica, right. we appreciate you and your great work. Have a, uh, we hope you have a great continuing practice and keep writing, Thank keep you. writing stuff so Thank we can. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm really, I was really excited when, I, when you asked. It was oh, good. a real honor. Thank well, you. Well, so we much. appreciate it. And we, we appreciate too, just the fact that you're giving us hope, um, without having to necessarily go pay for the therapist. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's a huge barrier, and I just I just want to make it so that everyone can have this. Well, good work. You did it. We're going to take a break, folks. Uh, you know, so much to learn. And really, we want to be better, right? We want to be healthier, and there's a lot of information out there. The question is, in the end, are we going to use it? It's one thing to go pay big money to a therapist to teach us these things, but no matter what, we still have to do them. So just pick one of those great ideas Jessica brought us and uh, start start there. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. More ideas to make your life hopefully a little easier. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Well, folks, last night something huge happened Something that will be talked about across American media for the next week, maybe even two, perhaps, maybe even for the next month. The Bachelor gave out his final rose. And for those who watch or know anything about the show, 
you know, you know that there are thousands of people, men and women across the nation who watch this show. Somehow, I seem to miss it. I don't know why. But why? Why is it that so many people uh, are into this love-searching reality TV show that uh, they can just lose their life in? Well, Caitlin Thomas is here to walk us through, help us better understand why does anybody care about The Bachelor? <laughs> Caitlin, Good morning. how are you? Yes, because I do care. Do you love it? Um, I feel like it's funny because every season I watch it, I'm like, wow, this show is dumb. But then I come back every season. Are, are you living vicariously through them? <sighs> That's what they say people are doing. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I've talked about reality TV and our fascination with it, but this show, it, reality TV, is something – it's its own beast. Well, wouldn't you actually really call this is. far from reality TV? It's <laughs> something like that. I went and actually looked up a couple articles yeah. that of, of different people talking about why this is so great. And this first one was actually titled – why feminists are obsessed with The Bachelor because yeah, that really seems the whole premise of this show is fairly anti-feminist. Yeah. Fairly, and then there's Bachelorette, which is fairly anti-men. Right. Uh, men and, I don't know, whatever yeah. you would call that as well. It's just kind of degrading to both genders. Yeah. Um, but Emma Gray, who's the executive women's editor for The Huffington Post, um, got quoted in an article for Vogue where they read about this and she said – Feminists may claim to hate watch the franchise or watch it only ironically, um, but she says inevitably if you are investing that much time and energy into looking at any sort of cultural product, you're buying into it to an extent. Mm. The Bachelor hits us in that really vulnerable part of ourselves where we all want love and fulfillment. That is why we watch it. We love love. Yeah, but I want – we love love. I love love and I love my love. I loves me. I like like love. She says the real shame of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette is that they know where we are most tender and they aim for those places when they make yeah. this show, when they edit this show. But there's just something strange about maybe, I don't know the number, 25 women showing up or tw- 20 women yeah, showing up like and some guy standing there and then one by one just picking them off. I know. Well, and then The Bachelorette does it to the men. Yeah. It's, so, it's strange. It's not a normal way. That's obviously not how we would hope that we would find love. But for some reason, we get so entertained about watching other people go through this journey. And they make it so dramatic (laughs) with the music and the roses and the vacations. true. Totally true. Do you think people are more interested in the love aspect or do you think they're watching it because they like watching people argue and bicker? Well, that was interesting. So Helen Fisher, who's a researcher at the Kinsey Institute and author of this book, Anatomy of Love, said – for millions of years, we weren't watching The Bachelor, but we were watching somebody putting the moves on our sister across the firelight, and then we would talk with our girlfriends about it. Mm. You know, you and I cannot talk about the girl next door because we no longer know the same girl next door, but we both know about The Bachelor so we can connect on a very oh, local level. So Television is, is sort of the global campfire we sit around it and respond to it. So that, it's a so, it's and, become a social And she's thing. an anthropologist and uh-huh. big into love and all the chemistry associated with love. So she's saying we're just doing what we've done for uh, – We've always years. done this. We just – we did it locally in our small communities. Now we can do it on this huge scale because yeah. we're all watching the same show. And for some reason – she also talks about how as people we love – 
she splits love into these three different categories, but as Americans specifically, we love watching the pursuit of romantic love. Mm. She talks about like, you know, the sexual part of it, the deep attachment, which we don't pay enough attention to, and then there's the romantic yeah. aspect. Disney movies, for example, right, have taught us from when since we were little that the romantic aspect of love is what we should be pursuing. So our minds are just ingrained with this idea. Isn't that, that interesting? And and even though you can, you know, from one you look at this show, this is not romantic because it's not. He's one guy, you're like you're trying to right. fight for one guy, but for some reason it's the way they edit it and the way they premise it. Where it's a search for love. Oh, it's so <laughs> romantic, and then we socially connect with it. And then highly produced and incredible <laughs> dates, and then you can right. go well, on fantasy. that beach trip with right. Them. It's like oh my gosh, last night they were in Finland. Like she got proposed Whoa. to in Finland. Like wow. it was so romantic. I've, and, I've got a question: uh, Are yeah. the are the men as nasty to each other on the Bachelorette as the women are to each other on the Bachelor? Um, it depends on the season. I've seen like this last season, the women were okay. There was only one girl that was really, really kind of the villain. Um, the men are funny because when men compete, they they show it differently. Women tend to get emotional, um, and then they talk about each other behind their backs. Where the men just kind of tend to get really. Um, they might be really insecure, but they come off very, like, egocentric and yeah. I'm the boss. And then they'll make sure that there's lots of shots of them, like, doing pull-ups on the door or something. <laughs> like, it's really interesting to watch how different – That's the same thing the I see every time I come in. Do. Maybe it's like Michael Phelps and that other athlete where they're, like, working out in front of each other <laughs> trying to intimidate each other. <laughs> totally. Right. That's totally. kind of how the men go. The men are funny because – and then they do – I have seen them get, like, into physical fights. It's just, it's just a funny – it's it is it, reflection I think, of society. I think that's the key to this, right? Is it's natural to want to go there, and it's not real, so it's not bad. But, but we live, but we can see real aspects yeah, of our own life. That's in right. This show. Well, and maybe know. what we ought to do is be looking to have real relationships that we could actually have the same experience. Yeah, don't live vicariously through this show. It's okay to watch it. Yeah. Don't let it fool you into thinking right. that that should be your life. It's also been great for the rose industry. Right. <laughs> know what I mean? Roses are back. Roses are back in, folks. Caitlin, you're the best. Thanks. Great insight on mm-hmm. The Bachelor. We'll take a break, friends. Come back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. We're just getting over uh, the whole discussion about The Bachelor. Terry will not be quiet. Boy, that guy loves The Bachelor. What is it about you, Terry? I mean, you like a lot of shows, but I didn't think The Bachelor would be there. It's it's not. Oh. Okay. I don't think I've ever seen the show. Oh, you have? No. I really? mean, I've seen maybe clips or something. But... Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. Uh, you're not a Bachelor fan. No. Wrong. Sort of trivializes things. What, you're what, wrong. What did The Bachelor ever do to you? Just not my... Cup of tea, if you will. You like tea? No, not really. Man, you're sending out all sorts of false right. messages here. Don't you're like just, soup. Man, you're hard to read today. Not a 
You're not a soup guy? No, I like to eat my food, not drink it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, enjoy it now when my you're wife, older. My wife will make soup and then I, I'll strain it so I just get the the chunks, if you will. I need and that. Really? Yeah. Wow. But the broth is very good for yeah. you. Yeah, it's just sort of dirty water. That's what grandma said. The broth is very good for you. <laughs> drink your broth. <laughs> Speaking of health, uh, Dr. Ron Hager will be joining us. About talking about stress, mm. which me, which means Terry will be introducing a new KFC or Taco Bell item. Always, every time Ron Hager's <laughs> I here, I don't have one. I have ordering how to order those types of things. They have some oh, interesting. Uh, well, actually, I do have a really gross way of eating pizza. So we'll talk. There about we that. go. Gross. Wait, wait until he walks in, though, please. Yeah, <laughs> we always like to see his face. When when you're talking about unhealthy food and could he's here, possibly be, be a way to make pizza more healthy. Oh wow! So that's we why you said him. gross. Well, it is gross, but sometimes gross things can be healthy. Oh sure, I, sure. I'm listening. But then again, you said pizza, so I was listening then too. Right, 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 right. Yeah, you may not be listening when I'm done here because it's kind of odd. It's kind of odd. Yeah. It's also, by the way, March fourteenth, three point one four March three one four fourteenth Pi Day. It's the day we celebrate the magical number of pi. Number pi. Uh, here it is: three point one four one five nine two six five three five nine. Was that your credit card information? Yeah, that was my social security number. The need for pie is as old as the wheel itself, mm. and the pizza pie. Absolutely. It's the only way you can make sense of how to make it fair and even and cut it up. I would say a pizza pie is just as useful and needful as the tires on our car. Sure. Absolutely. Where would you be if you couldn't eat pizza? I think it's a different pie. And in fact, you, you can't think. have the pizza pie delivered to you unless, you know, the guy has wheels. Well, so. yeah. You could walk if you live near it. Not to be technical. Some are experimenting with drone delivery. Yeah. That'd be great. I would sign up for that. Yeah, people are going to get shredded by they these drones. just drop a box in your driveway. Thud. Honey, what happened to you? It's like I tried to up. tip the drone. <laughs> the drone I just grabbed and it wouldn't let go. Uh, it's an international ask a question day as well. That's right. You can ask any question that's been burning in your head. Really? Any question? Any question. Do you have a question? Do I have a question? Yeah, do you have a question? Uh, let's see. If car A is traveling at a speed of 55 <sighs> miles per hour, is a good one. heading south, and car B is heading 75 miles per hour, heading this is, this is common core. B. north, it's at B. what point will they meet? They'd meet at point C. In Albuquerque. Yeah. That's the answer. It's always in Albuquerque. Just ask Bugs Bunny. <laughs> it's he also- always took a left, needed to take a right. Why did Bugs never learn that one lesson? Eh. Can you spell Albuquerque? Yes. He called it Albuquerque? It's also potato chip day. Mm. Do you like the Notice plane? Notice that he didn't oh, spell Albuquerque. Do you like the plane or do you like flavor? What, what? I love the plane myself. And have you ever had a potato chip sandwich? Oh, yeah. Try a peanut butter potato chip sandwich. No. It's really good. That is not supposed to the, happen. The sort of peanut butter flavor with the chip. Oh, it's so mm. good. Sounds good to me. Yeah, sounds good. Let's ask. Let's ask uh, Professor Hager about that. No, he'll just tell us that it's bad. Well, it is bad. Yeah, in a good he'll way. tell you to eat kale chips. <laughs> Will he? 
Yeah. I don't, I don't know if he'll – we'll ask him. I don't know if he loves kale. He'll have some sort of – I don't of... know that I know anybody that loves kale. Well, I know one person. Oh, kale. Kale. My wife's like – I go, what's this green stuff in here? She goes, kale. And I went, why? So it was because it's in the recipe. And I went, again, why? Did really? we get a gerbil? There was really no answer. Looks like Audrey too from Little Shop of Horrors. Really? The leaves of it anyway. Okay. Then it's starting to scare me. We'll also be getting into some empty news today as well. What if you had a size shoe 20, I mean a 28 size shoe? What, what if you needed a 28? Where do you get a shoe? Your local ski shop. Yeah, pretty much. Well, yeah. you know what that means. He's got big feet, right? He's got big feet. So guess what that means? Time to get a 3D printer. Huh. Because now you can 3D print your shoes. You're talking about laser or inkjet? 3D. Oh, I see. Yeah. So we'll get into that story coming up, uh, craziness. Also, a 1959 Corvette, sadly, smashed into a Walmart. Tragic. Well, it was smashed in a Walmart parking lot. Oh, that's good news because I was thinking. He didn't run into a building. Yeah. Tragic. He took an expensive car on a little ride on a Saturday afternoon or whatever it was. And yeah. By the way, you won't believe. Try to guess what state that took place in. Okay, that's tough. Uh, Illinois. Nope, not even close. Florida. No way, yeah, really? Florida. Man, there's so many Florida We love stories. Florida because Florida has a little looser uh, laws on reporting of crimes, and so— Well, the, the record, the public records. They're all crimes, out yeah. there. You can get any, you know, you can get any police report now, and it just makes great news. Sadly, for Florida, a lot of the crazy news comes out of Florida just because they're the only ones reporting it. The rest of you states got to pick up your game so we can have a better show. They think they help, it helps tourism. I'm sure it does. Yeah. It just, I think it's great. They're, they have very transparent laws. That's great. Let's uh, first, though, get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? House Speaker Paul Ryan said Monday that he felt encouraged by the Congressional Budget Office's findings on his party's proposal on health care legislation. Well, actually, I think if you read this entire report, I'm pretty encouraged by it, and it actually exceeded my expectations. We're saying the government's not going to force people to buy something they don't want to buy. And if we end an Obamacare mandate that says you must buy this government one-size-fits-all plan, guess what? People aren't going to buy that. So, of course, they're going to suggest that if we're not going to make people do something they don't want to do, they're not going to do it. That's really what's behind this. What I'm encouraged is once our reforms kick in, what the CBO is telling us is it's going to lower premiums. It will lower premiums 10%. It stabilizes the market. So he found the bright side of a there report that says that 14 million Americans will be uninsured next year that were insured this year. Right, but many of those are just choosing to be. They're just exercising their freedom. That figure will rise to 24 million by 2026. Right. So, yeah, yeah the bright side. However, the Congressional Budget Office... Uh, Analysis found that the plan would trim $337 billion from the federal deficit, a lot of, a lot of that having to do with uh, Medicaid funding, and they're going to pull back right. on Medicaid funding, which is going to save a lot of money in the deficit, which will make more people uninsured. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a tangled web. Who knew uh, it was this fu- complicated? The fu- this, that finding encourages uh, Representative Ryan, who's an ardent deficit hawk. Ooh, wow. He always wants to cut the deficit, so anyway, he can find a way to do that. The White House has instructed the State Department to look for ways to slash over half of the U.S. funding for the United Nations. Foreign Policy reports on Monday, three sources told the outlet that the State Department is eyeing cuts to programs that fund peacekeeping missions, peace talks, vaccinations for children, and nuclear weapon monitoring 
in so-called rogue nations like North or, or North Korea. Really? The State Department currently spends approximately $10 billion in annual U.N. funding. The White House has signaled major cuts to de- the, that department and is expected to slash approximately 37% of State Department funding in its upcoming 2018 budget proposal. President Donald Trump quietly gave, the, quietly gave the CIA new authority to carry out drone strikes. The Wall Street Journal reports the move, which reportedly occurred shortly after Trump's visit to the CIA on January 21st, is a departure from previous policy under which the CIA conducted drone surveillance while the Department of Defense conducted drone strikes. CIA only surveilled. The de- Department of Defense ran the strikes. Now CIA is just going to do the drone strikes. Okay. So, what it, so Clarify, they're, I mean, they're cutting out a middleman. Yeah. A more efficient drone strike. The Obama-era policy required the Pentagon to report all drone strikes that it conducted, but the CIA is not beholden to the same reporting standards and can now conduct strikes in secrecy, the journal says. There you go. And finally, this may be a pizza crime. Uh-oh. It says the uh, the head of uh, – this is written kind of creatively, as people tend to do, but there's a woman online, and she posted photographs and a video – of her dipping her pizza in milk. Twenty-year-old mm. college student posted a photo of Why? her ghastly actions, as it says here. She has since made her account private because people started attacking her. <laughs> but people have reposted it anyways, accompanied by, of course, their opinions. So here, here's some reasons why that's a bad idea. Yeah, okay. A pizza is not a cookie. Says who? Pizza, because it already it's has, because it's already sauce, doesn't need to be wetter. Liquid-wise, it can be improvised only by another savory sauce. It can only be improved by right. another savory Hello, sauce. Hello, ranch Bu- dressing. Buffalo ranch garlic sauces. Mm. Those types of sauces help the pizza. Milk, the milk makes it soggy. So? Now you have to drink your milk with bits of pizza in it. That's a good point. Cheesy tomato milk. Mm. And it's got like you know a sheen of oil on the top of your milk. Not good. There have been uh, all sorts of different types of pizzas posted in response to this. There's one that has uh, pizza made with peas and mayonnaise. Wow. So just kind of just it, she might have gone too far with this. So there, with this these this writer saying don't dip your pizza in milk. Save yourself because there is a worst case scenario here. Trying to milk trying milk pizza could ruin the taste of pizza forever. But now, what was the lady's claim? That she just loved it? She likes the taste. The combo of milk and what pizza. Would be, what's the difference between putting it in your mouth and then drinking milk? It's just the, the combo. You, you get like soggy crust and just yeah. gross. I don't know that we should be judging another's pizza eating. Really? Because where does it end? Probably with the pizza eating. Yeah. Some things are just more acceptable than others. Yeah. I love to dip my corn in the cob in my milk. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. That's gross. That's, that so that gross. could be a pizza crime. I'm not the one judging here. but Yeah. Well, let's, let's actually go to the judge, the one who knows pizza crime better than anyone, Jeffrey Lamar Simpson. Jeffrey. Lamar? Do you, um, do you call that a crime? Yes. Is that a crime? Yes. Just like it's a crime to put fruit on your pizza. We have... That's not true. We have validated that having pineapple on your pizza pie is acceptable, according to our own listeners. Don't know why you won't let that sink into your head. But hasn't history proven that certain crimes have been acceptable? (laughs) 
Yeah, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about But I, be- I believe it's the only fruit that's acceptable. You wouldn't put an apple on a pizza. Wouldn't you? Would you put oranges on a pizza? What about watermelon? Oh, I'd put watermelon on a pizza. No. Watermelon is one of those few things where it's only good in its actual natural state. Yeah. Like watermelon water. No. Actually, I take that back. That watermelon hubba bubba is delicious. Oh, yeah. Well, any hubba bubba, really. Um, but you don't put watermelon in a smoothie. Yeah, you do. You no, could. You, I don't know if you'd want to. You could you just don't. pour water in. You don't do it. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's the authority right there. There you go. Uh, Michigan teen gets a size 28 shoes thanks to a 3D printer. 19-year-old Michigan man who was previously in the Guinness Book of World Records for the world's tallest teenager has finally found an affordable pair of shoes to fit his size 28 thanks to 3D printer. Brock Brown, who is 7 feet 8 inches tall, has Soto's Syndrome. California-based feats stepped in to help. The shoe company uses an app to convert photos of someone's feet into a 3D model, which can then be measured to create custom-fit shoes manufactured by a 3D printer. Feet CEO Lucy Beard uh, delivered a pair of black and red shoes to uh, Brown at his home in Michigan last week. The shoes were the colors of Brown's favorite basketball team, the Chicago Bulls. You know what I noticed about that story? It said he was previously in the Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah, he's been dwarfed. So does that mean somebody else has taken that Apparently. record from him? I mean, well, he's or he's just he's no longer, uh, you know, in the running for a teenager, I guess, being a he's 19. 19? Year, well, I know, but maybe you're disqualified because his birthday's coming up in a month or something. You're stripped of your title. Just because you disgrace. Age. You're aged out. That's ageism. That's ageism. Totally. How sad, though, that you got to order your shoes custom made. That must cost a lot of money. Plus, you got to have the CEO drop them off. <laughs> That's nice of her. Lucy Beard delivered the shoes for uh, this wonderful teenager. Anyway, good luck, Brock. Those are, uh, those are some seriously big feet. And he's 7'8". You hope he can shoot, right? What if he instead, what if he like really, he just plays the violin? It's, it's hard. Uh, 1959 Corvette smashed into a parking lot. Uh, it was a little mishap at a Florida Walmart. Florida public official had the very bad day Thursday when he meticulously restored his 59 Corvette. And, uh, you know, that darn car was just crushed by another driver at a Walmart parking lot. <sighs> Witnesses explained whoa. that an elderly. Whoa. Jeez, she was flying. She was flying. An elderly female driver was cutting through the parking lot when she realized she was heading toward the Corvette, which was parked off to the side of the lot. He had parked it, I'm sure, like a mile away to make sure nobody scratches that beautiful vet. But luckily, you know, no one was injured. The woman's Ford ended up climbing up onto the vintage car at an angle. The owner of the Corvette, identified as Paul Stamulus. The Charlotte County Elections Supervisor. Wait a minute, what? Mm-hmm. He's the Elections Supervisor? Yeah. I smell a conspiracy there. Mm-hmm. He appeared calm as he watched a tow truck pull the woman's car off of the vehicle. So I wonder if the election official from Florida, when his car was destroyed, if there was any like hanging chads 
know what I mean? Just some hanging little, you know, maybe the headlights just hanging, dangling there. Luckily, he knows what to do because he's, he's been through that. I'm telling you, Sad Trump day. ought to look into this. Totally. Totally. <sighs> Crazy stuff. Anyway, we got, a, we got a great topic coming up. Ron Hager's in the house. He's the uh, health evangelist. He's here to help us get stronger, happier. We will be talking about chronic stress. Is it making you fat? Or is it the pizza you're dipping in milk? 2% milk, by the way. That might be doing it. At least it's not whole. At least it's not whole milk. You don't want to be, you don't want to like overindulge with your pizza. We'll take a break. We'll be back more with Ron Hager up next. everybody to the Matt Townsend Show. That music means our health evangelist is here, Dr. Ron Hager. Pastor Ron. Dr. Ron Hager here to help us, to, to guide us back, to shepherd us back to health. And he does it in such a such a fun way. I try to. You're I, our shepherd. Just every two weeks, I can't believe... I get to listen to my music. This is your music. I, that that blows me away. Yeah, this is really cool. <laughs> and today you're going to help us understand the impacts of chronic stress. Does it really impact or doesn't it our, our waistline? Yeah. Or is it really just the pizza we're eating? Yeah, well, um, I want you to, first I just want to say that get your own music. That'll that'll help relieve your stress. Once you have your own song, then you're set for life. I just I listen to that, and all my yeah. problems go no, away. No, totally. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. We do it all so, day. So there's a study, a uh, brand new study, uh, just uh, just came out March uh, 2017 mm. uh, in the journal Obesity. Hold on, is that a journal? Yeah, that's a that's a big journal. Is it? Yeah, <laughs> that journal. Yeah, huge. Yeah, it's a huge journal. Um, <laughs> And uh, it's it's titled hair cortisol, oh, uh, and adiposity, in a in, and this is in a large population of uh, men and women. Uh, so so the hair thing, uh, cortisol can be measured. Cortisol is a stress hormone, right? And when a person, you know, is having some some stress, some anxiety, uh, you know, a, num- a number of things can happen. You know, heart rate goes up, respiration goes up, kind of that fight or flight, uh, you know. Uh, mechanism kicks in and your body produces cortisol and the cortisol as a hormone uh, you know can affect a lot of different things in your body but it also goes to your brain right and and it can affect other hormones and it can affect uh, you know even the way you think in fact I just came back over the weekend I was in Huntington Beach California at a Institute for Functional Medicine uh, meeting on reversing Alzheimer's disease, and they said that people whose brains are essentially bathed in cortisol have problems. Really, have yeah. a higher likelihood, I guess. Yeah. So, so the stress response is should be acute, right? Yeah. It should be something that comes and goes, right? But in today's world, a lot of people are chronically stressed. Yeah, it doesn't go away, and so it doesn't go away. And in this study, uh, so so as I, I got to get back to what I was saying, uh, cortisol can be measured, uh, you know, like in the blood, for example. But it's 
if you measure cortisol in the blood, it's it's fairly uh, volatile. I mean, it's you know it, it can be real high, it can be real low. Yeah. It just kind of depends on where you're at in terms of how you're feeling with your stress. Yeah, if you're at the beginning of the stressor, it'll be higher, right? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. and if you are actually feeling kind of good, then maybe the cortisol levels are low. But you know, if and if you catch it right before another stressful event, you might think you know well, cortisol is fine when in fact you know it, it might not be. So they they can measure this in the hair. Oh, really? Yeah, they actually cut. Uh, hair off your head as close to the scalp as possible. Uh, your hair grows, you know, uh, typically a a certain amount, you know, every week or every mm. month. And so they can, based on, you know, cutting it right at the scalp, they can look at distance oh, interesting. Uh, from, you know, where they cut it along the hair that they cut. They can analyze it for cortisol and it can give an indication, uh, kind of like the rings of a tree. Right. It can give an indication of cortisol levels, you know, over a, a period of time, yeah. like a month, for example. So it's, that's actually pretty cool. And, and what they found is that chronic cortisol exposure, so people who live in, you know, this stressful state, uh, they, they found that chronic cortisol, you know, exposure is uh, a contributing factor to uh, obesity. Hmm and to long-term weight gain. So, uh, you know, it's a, it, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty cool finding. Um, so what does that mean? Does that just mean, well, then let's just get people to control their stress and we won't have an obesity problem? Yeah. Well, not really because obesity, like many chronic conditions or chronic diseases, is pretty multifaceted. I right. mean, it can be hundreds of things impacting the condition. Well, because it's also not like – I mean obesity is a prolonged over or excessive right. diet, right? It's, right? it's not – so you're not dealing with the problem if if it's reaching levels of obesity, you're probably – you probably have a pattern. You have a ritual or something right. around what stresses you and then how you handle your stressor. Right. So what they're saying – I mean obviously, you know, you have to have – at least to some extent, overconsumption, yeah. you know, taking in more calories than you need. But the cortisol as a hormone can affect the way your body manages oh, glucose. And stores, and, yeah. And, and, how it, and how it affects insulin. Because hmm. um, it would. It would tell your body, hey, we got to survive. This is survival mode. Right. Start packing it away. Exactly. And so it, cortisol and insulin, another hormone, uh, can actually become – Kind of like fertilizer for fat cells. Interesting, yeah. And it can promote uptake and storage of fat cells as opposed to, uh, you know, oxidation or burning extra calories. Right. You know, because there's always a little bit of, you know, metabolism going on. If you take in extra calories, not every single extra calorie gets stored as fat. Um, so, so yeah, there is some merit to this study, but I just, I just want to make sure people understand that it's just one. Of the variables. Of the variables. This is one of the factors. In fact, I thought, well, I'll look into this a little more, and I found a, a fairly recent study in 2016 that came out of Sweden that showed that low levels of cortisol are associated with obesity, with increased cholesterol, and with a condition called metabolic syndrome, which was really is really just a clustering of risk factors that huh. put a person at disease for or, or at risk of something like heart disease. And that, that includes abdominal obesity. Now, one of the things this study, uh, not the Swedish study, but the first study we talked about found is that 
that uh, high, high, high and chronic cortisol levels tend to promote the, the deposition of fat in the central in the area of the body. Yeah. So you get this central adiposity. Why? Why would it choose there? Like why didn't it choose your, your hind quarters or your <laughs> – I mean, why your gut? Well, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, things that hormones affect around your gut okay. in terms of metabolism, digestion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so central adiposity, sometimes it's called, you know, is, a, is one of these key players. Yeah. And, and central adiposity has been shown to increase your risk of heart disease and other things. So this is why, you know, you, you've heard about like the pear and the apple shape. Yeah, right. Yeah, so the apple shape is people who pack it around the middle. And mm-hmm. that, that, not exclusively, but that mostly applies to men. Yeah. Uh, whereas women, they tend to be more the pear shape, kind of below the waist on the hips kind of a yeah. thing. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So stress, it's you're saying it's just one of the many variables, but um, it also it's been proven that too much stress creates problems and obesity, yeah. and too little stress. Well, now I want to mention in that Swedish study that showed that lower levels of cortisol were associated with obesity. That was in patients who had recurring depression or bipolar disorder. Oh, interesting. So then, it, so that kind of complicates a little more. Right. So. So, so one of the things I guess, I guess, kind of the take home here for me is, you got to look at the whole person, and and maybe even not just the whole person, but maybe their environment, their work environment, their home environment. You got to look at their diet, uh, and and probably some tests need to be done on you know vitamin and mineral levels in the body, uh, toxicities, uh, you know mercury, copper, right. Uh, you know, heavy metals as well as maybe pesticides, herbicides. I mean, all of these things, you know, could affect so many parts of your body. And, you know, it's not just one thing. You know, a person doesn't just typically, say, have a problem with their kidneys. Right. It's you got to go – you got to – I mean, you can say what all you want, but at some point it would be wise to say why. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to say, well, okay – we know the kidneys are doing this, but why? Why are they? So you got to get to the root cause of things. And stress is a problem. Yeah. You know, that there's no question. And you know what's kind of funny to me is we live in a time when supposedly, you know, we have the best of everything. Yeah. You know, we have the, the best, uh, you know, uh, access to information. We have the best, uh, you know, technology. You know, our lives should be more efficient and more productive than at any other time in history. Uh, yet we're, we're the most stressed we've ever been too. <laughs> so somehow, yeah. somehow we're not making the connection. We're not taking advantage in the right way of all the opportunities we have. It, yeah, it doesn't seem – I mean because to have all these blessings and yet to be you know, stressed out to the point that we just want to check out. Ain't, it's, it ain't good. Yeah. Uh, let's take a break with um, our great um, evangelist, our, our health leader, Dr. Ron Hager. We will uh, come back, continue this discussion about stress and uh, how it impacts you. Other things you can do to, to kind of mitigate some of that stress in your life. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. 
There it is. Our health evangelist, Dr. Ron Hager, in-house. He's here to help us uh, handle our chronic stress today. He, he, every, every other week, he brings us another way to stay healthy. We used to call him the death preventer, but that was like a really big responsibility. Too big. Too big. Yeah. So now we just call you the health evangelist. Yeah, that's a little more that's doable. subjective. Yeah. Yeah. Totally subject. And you have your own music. Yeah. So you've been talking to us about chronic stress and cortisol, the stress hormone. Cortisol, it it does impact some of the ways that we store our fats. Yeah. And you're saying in the end, everyone's so different because not everybody handles stress differently. Some people never eat when they're stressed, you were yeah. just saying. And some overeat. Yeah. And some, you know, just watch Netflix and some medicate and some right. do drugs. Everybody's trying to find a way to handle the stress. Right. But there's got to be healthier ways. Yeah, there are some healthy ways. And, you know, I, I mentioned this meeting I went to over the weekend uh, in California with a group of functional fitness uh, – or I mean, I mean functional medicine doctors. And they were – like I said, they were talking about Alzheimer's disease. But I really appreciate an analogy. They, they, they showed a picture of a – it was like a roof in a warehouse or a barn, but it was full of holes, so a lot of light was shining through. Mm-hmm. And they said that that our our disease states um, are are like you know a roof with thirty thirty six holes in it. Yeah. And and the the approach today, and and this is this this kind of the reason I mention this is because you know you read a study about stress and obesity, and that there's a connection. You say, oh well, obesity is all about the stress. Right. That, that's really just one of the it's holes one, one in, of the, in the roof. That's a great way to look and, at and it. And you can and you can do something to plug that hole. Yeah. But like I said, you really got to step back and take a look at the whole roof or the whole person. You got to identify what all their holes are. Yeah. So there is no magic bullet to this. That's the point. I mean, there's a magic bullet maybe for that one hole. Yeah. And you can shoot the bullet into that hole and plug it, but then what about the other 35 holes? So it, this is really about the whole person right. and, and everything that impacts them. And, and overweight and obesity, weight gain, weight loss, and, and all other kinds of chronic conditions are, are like this. Yeah. Okay. So that, I, I just wanted to make that point. Um, but, but here are some ideas. I mean, obviously exercise, we've talked a lot about that on the show, and, and exercise is a key. Right. It, uh, you know, in, in my class, I mean, students, I mean, everybody thinks they're stressed in their own environment. You know, in 10 years from now, students, you know, in class will say, gee, I wish I had the stress from when yeah. I was a student. You well, know, because, that was easy. Because things always change. But right. I, I'll ask my students all, every semester because we talk about mental health and stress at some point during the semester. And I'll say, how many of you exercise primarily to help you manage your stress. And like three-fourths of the kids raise their hands. Really? You know, so even at that, even, you know, in their, in their young 20s, you yeah. know, 20, 21, 22 years old, they're, they're realizing, you know, the beneficial effects of exercise on managing stress. Of course, a lot of people say, oh, I just don't have time to exercise. Well, then I guess make time to be stressed. That's right. J- then just get your big belly yeah, so, and get stressed out of your head. Yeah. So, and, and, and really, exercise is part of a healthy lifestyle pattern. I mean, yes, it can be used to manage stress, but it also helps reduce your risk right. of heart disease or stroke or Alzheimer's disease or cancer. So it's not – so again, it's not like exercise is some magic bullet for one itis that a person may have. Right. It's, it's, it's kind of another a, hole. a lifestyle pattern mm-hmm. that you know, can contribute to a lot of different things. Uh, visualization is another one. And I've actually tried this. Th- this yeah. actually helps me a lot. Me too. Um, you know, y- you can close your eyes. You just imagine something pleasant. And you can even go online. You can Google, uh, you know, like visualization uh, uh, 
dialogue or something where, and you can find this stuff for free, you know, where you close your eyes and you listen to a voice that guides you through a visualization process that can actually be very, very helpful. Yeah. I mean, totally. I, I personally have found visualization to just to be awesome. I love it too. Yeah. Um, so so that that's one. Uh, there's meditation, which I guess could be considered kind of a form of visualization. But, you know, meditation can slow your heart rate. It can lower your blood pressure, can reduce muscle tension. Um, and 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 there, there are studies that show that, uh, you know, meditation lowers cortisol levels. You're right, exactly. Okay? So um, it, it's, you know, meditation can be valuable. And meditation can also be something like prayer, you know, or worshiping in some way. Uh, you know, so it, it doesn't have to be some gimmicky thing or right. some wacky thing. It can actually be quite purposeful and... And you can uh, customize it to you. Sure, sure. And there's a million resources. I mean, online, there's apps, there's tools yeah. that are free that will yeah. – just meditations that help you yeah. imagine you're sitting by a beach. Yeah. It's yeah. powerful. Yeah. And, and there are these meditation protocols and these visualization protocols that that actually kind of take you from a beginner level to a more advanced yeah. level. Uh, you know, so it's it's actually a skill I've found that you can develop. And there's also this idea of writing things down or journaling. Right. Uh, that can be huge as well. And now, some people do that. A lot of people don't. Um, I'm one, actually, that doesn't, which I, 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 yeah. I, I, I hate to admit that, but I'm just not very good at it. But I have done it before, and it is a heck of a release. Mm-hmm. Totally. Matt. When you can write down your feelings and express yourself in words, it tends to slow things down. It allows you to process information, put things in perspective, see things for what they really are. And, and, get, and it actually – I like it because you actually are using energy to get the ideas out of your head and then I've noticed they're kind of gone. Yeah. Then they don't keep spinning. Yeah. They're yeah. out of you. Yeah. And if you ever need to go back, you can, I guess, always go back and look at what you wrote. That's right. And then maybe laugh at yourself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, I, I suggest to people that have thoughts they don't like – that are like angry thoughts, I suggest that they write a line and then they write exactly right over the top of that first line. They write the second line. And then they write a third line over the top of the other two lines. Okay. So you can't read it. Right. But the thoughts are out and they don't take a form that's legible. Right. So you're not held accountable. Right. Exactly. And that's that's a great way to just get that energy out of it's you. It's a good and idea. It de-stresses I like, you. I like that idea. You. It's yeah, great. I like that idea. Another one is just to express your feelings. Now, for this... You know, you kind of need somebody that you can trust. Yeah. Now, and, and this can be a family member or a friend, or it could actually be, you know, like a professional it could be person. A therapist, a therapist. Right. Um, you know, that, that, that can have some, some great effect. You got to be careful a little bit with like friends and family because, yeah. you know, you don't want to burden them to the point where they're like, you know, don't talk to me anymore. Yeah. Because a lot of people, you'll just hand it off to, they don't process it well either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that's one thing. Uh, kind of along the line of the visualization, the meditation, and this is something I have done is progressive muscle relaxation. And again, you can go online, you can find, you know, the dialogue, the the guidelines, kind of the audio that can walk you through yeah. this idea of progressive muscle relaxation. Usually a person is in a lying position, but there are things you can do while you're just like, say, sitting at your desk at work. Uh, you know, and there are protocols for that. Mm-hmm. And And basically, you know, a voice, somebody is directing you to, you know, contract and relax sequentially certain muscles that kind of work from head to toe or from toe to head, you know, or from shoulders out your arms and out your fingers, that kind of thing. That's great. And, you know, the thing with all of this, though, Matt, is it takes time. Yeah. And 
And so a person's got to be willing to say, you know, is it worth the time? Yes. Because so many people that I know, I mean, the, the number one reason why people don't exercise, they say, time. I don't have the time. I don't have the time. Yeah. I'm too busy. I got a doctor's appointment. Yeah. I've got I've got a yeah. new cardiologist I've got to see. I've got to go pick up my meds. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I, don't have, I think I see a problem here. I don't have time to no, exercise. No, but it's true, isn't it? We yeah. all say that. Yeah. Give us one more and then we gotta go. Well, there's also things like music and yoga, you know. Yeah. And maybe you can even combine those two. Totally. You know. So these are just all ways to take some time for yourself, basically. And and people need that. Oh, yeah. People need that. You've got to take some time for yourself. So so the, I guess the, the message here is find something that you can do for yourself. It doesn't have to be prideful or exotic. Mm-mm. It just needs to be a way that you can take time to release some of the tension, some of the stress, lower your heart rate, lower your respiration, uh, increase your insulin sensitivity, decrease your risk of type 2 diabetes, lower your cortisol level. Well, and get to know yourself better. This, yeah. All of these are about getting to know you. Figure out your code. Yeah. 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 You're the best. See? Pastor Ron. <laughs> Pastor Ron. <laughs> our, uh, he's our shepherd, our health shepherd, helping us get healthier, folks. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. Two very healthy people. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Let's shoot it down to our good friends, Jerem and Jason, down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show in about 10 minutes. Hello, gentlemen. Nailed it. Good morning. Nailed it. Hey, happy Pi Day, you guys. Every day is Pi Day in the U.S. Uh, No, 3.14 Pi Day. Yeah. Favorite pie is? Uh, Favorite pie would be apple... um, Oh, what's it called? Apple, sour cream apple. Okay. Mm. Sour cream? Is that what it's called? Sour cream? Apple? That sounds right. It's really good. Maybe sour remember, apple? It, it, not sour, sour cream. No, it, it's, got a little, it's got like a little sour cream, no. cream topping thing. Well, what is the- Sour what? cream? I'm pretty sure it's sour cream. Not to go Jerry Seinfeld, but what's the deal <laughs> what's with the deal sour deal? cream? It's oh. in the name, it's cream that has gone bad. It's bad, it's bad cream. Like, I don't understand mm. it. I just but, don't get it. Oh, mm. but could you can you imagine a burrito without it? Uh, yes, I can. I do not eat sour cream. You do not eat sour cream. I do cream? not eat sour cream. What dost thou eat on thy burritos? Um, enchilada sauce. Mm, now you're talking. Yes, I told you about the guy on my two-year LDS mission trip. What named vacation, James Hob? Yeah, it was a vacation. I just worked out all that. <laughs> um, that. <laughs> He knew the first 50 digits of pi. That was his Did he thing. really? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. It's a big number. I like to save my— It's about my, 50 digits. Yeah. I love to save my brain. We've now figured out that they've got it up to, like, millions of digits. Trillions. It's amazing. Through right? computer technology. Yeah. It's an app. It's a, an app. It's a pi it's app. It's called pi. Hey, it's also potato chip day. Oh, okay. So, this is the U.S., so yet again. So if you had to choose your, uh, your, you know, your poison, okay. would you rather go with a savory chip snack or would you rather go with a sweet maybe pie snack? Chips go with more meals. Yeah, I would go probably chips. It would be a difficult decision because I love them both, yeah. like mm-hmm. my children. I like the California Highway. Yeah. Patrolman. 
I like those guys. Yes. Yeah, yeah chips are great. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite show growing up. The, I watched that growing up. I thought the, I was Poncherella. The new movie's coming out in like two weeks. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't. <laughs> it, it doesn't seem like it's going to hit the mark. Yeah, I think they're. I think they're going for a different audience than <laughs> the original. That would be series. a better Netflix series than it would <laughs> movie. Totally. You don't want to. You don't want to. To me, they're heroes. You know, and it seems like they're kind of making a more comedic fodder. I just hope that at one point Eric Estrada makes a cameo. That's all I ask. It has to. It happen. needs Ponch. The original Ponch and John need to make. And I, I don't know if the guy that plays John is still with us. I assume he is. I don't know. I know Eric Estrada is. Oh yeah. He, you uh, know, but they, they need to make an appearance. Oh yeah. He's a volunteer police officer somewhere. He Poncherello is a is a he's a, he's a cop. That's and right. He is. He's and I guess somewhere in California. I think he they, was also uh, like a uh, a Latino soap opera star. Oh yeah, he had kind to, of the same thing. Dreamy. He had to learn. He didn't know Spanish. Telenovela. Yeah, he did not know Spanish. Did he wow. really? He had to learn Spanish. That's hard, huh? You got to learn Spanish, even Por though. Por qué? He's to me. He just was always good looking. The ladies loved him, and he had those boots that went up to his knees. Oh. Male boots, nothing like it. Them boots were made for walking. Hey, uh, <laughs> you guys, what's uh, what's on your show today other than the boot talk? Speaking of boots, Ty Detmer, the 1990 Heisman Trophy winner, will be on the program. Uh, he'll wow. talk about the difference in Tanner Mangum from last spring to now. Oh, cool. Also, uh, yesterday after uh, football ah. practice, Kalani Satake made a, a, a comment about um, his role in putting players into the NFL. And so we're going to discuss that and, and ask fans, how important is it that BYU players make it to the NFL? Hmm, really important. And is it BYU's job? Is it Klein Stockhead's job? To oh, do that's, that? yeah. that's a lot of pressure to put on one coach. But is it his job? That's a great question. Look, he has like nine other coaches to help him. So. That's true. It's not only his job. Yeah. Plus, between the lines with Lauren Frankham, how much do BYU students know about the NIT this is really good. You're going to want to tune in. These well, are all great. I'm going to bet very little. Okay. Libby, is... uh, Libby Sugg of the softball team. She's uh, an excellent player. She's going to join us. They're playing the main uh, Black Bears tomorrow in yeah. the doubleheader. So we're going to jump her with a bunch of main trivia. Ooh. She has no idea unless she's listening right well, now. Well, now she knows. Well, now she knows. She's, oh, she, she's listening all the time on the show. Yeah. All right. Well, it sounds like a great show. I wish I had more time because I really wanted to cover Jason's uh, th- his his throwing out the first pitch. Oh. But we'll, we'll get that no next time. time. Hey, do you have, do you have yeah. pie up in the studio by chance? Oh, yeah. Well, we just ate it. Sorry. We're out, we're out of pie. Rats. Sorry, guys. Go go have a great show. Kill them. Thank, thank now, you. Now, yeah, boy. Pie. Pie day. I really wanted to ask Jason about that first pitch. I heard he just rifled it. Oh, well. It's a good thing we ate all that pie, too. This is payback for when they ate all of the trail mix from the trail mix meeting that we missed. because we were working. They purposely scheduled it during our show. It's one of those meetings that they schedule where they don't want us there. Mm -hmm. And then I think they talk about us. Yeah. Next time it's going to be prime rib. Yeah. That's not fair. 9 o'clock a.m. Oh, I love breakfast prime rib. It's the best. Put a little egg on it. Hey, man uh, uh, found not guilty of stealing cheese, but he left his trial before the verdict and and uh, and before the verdict end when he got his prison time. Uh, jurors found Alan Cochran not guilty of trying to steal thirty three dollars in sharp cheddar from a grocery store in November twenty fifteen. Is that what you would steal? Is sharp cheddar? 
I mean, if you're going to steal cheese... It is the cheese that you never shell out the cash to buy. So maybe. Mm. Yeah, I think I would... It's good. It's really good. I'd, I might do mozzarella still. I mean... But every time I eat it, my gums are a little sore afterwards. Really? Yeah. Maybe you need to brush more. Well, if they if they made it a little less sharp, that might help out. I think they're talking something else. Uh, the 49-year-old wasn't there Friday to hear it, that he had gotten off. He left early from his own trial. The judge told jurors the defendant hadn't returned for the verdict after sitting through a one-day trial in which he faced two felony charges. So the jurors who found him guilty of failing to show up for the previous court hearing retired once more to figure out how they wanted to punish him for not showing up. You know what? Take cheese away. Tell him he can't eat any cheese. They couldn't have sentenced him to jail. Uh, they they could have sentenced him to no jail time, or um, Cochran still could have walked out of the court as a free man, as long as they didn't give him more than seven months. He had already banked at the county jail. Instead, they hit him with the max five years in prison. He could have been free always. We've how many times? If I've said it once, I've said it a million times. Always show up to the jury verdict in your trial case. Always. Maybe, you know, all of the talk of the cheese got him hungry and maybe his blood sugar got low and oh, yeah. he had to get out of there and get some cheese. Had to get a quesadilla. Yeah. Oh, he could have he walked out with maybe seven with time served, but instead five years in the pokey. And by the way, have you tasted prison cheese? Ooh, that's like Velveeta. It's like, yeah, bad Velveeta. Oh, I hate prison cheese. Uh, anyway, as we end the show, we always like to end with a hero story. 20 doctors rushed to assist a man who fell ill on Southwest Airlines flight. Listen to this. An apple a day may keep the doctor away, but a panicked cry for help on an airplane can bring almost two dozen That was the experience on a Southwest Airlines flight from Atlanta to Houston last week. NBC News reports when when a retired Air Force Colonel Tom McKay fell unconscious, he and his wife Maggie, a nurse, were flying home to Texas. McKay tells uh, KPRC2 he began feeling clammy and dizzy during the flight, and the last thing he remembers before passing out was his frightened wife asking if he was okay. Maggie started yelling for assistance, and the Texas oral surgeon, Dr. Jeffrey Acock, was one of the first to respond, followed by about 20 other doctors. Man, that was a really nice airplane. Hake Acock leaped into action, working with about four other doctors to lie McKay across the seats so that he could breathe better, so that they could take his vitals and stabilize him, uh, which took no longer than 10 minutes. Man, having 20 doctors working on you? When he woke up, he had like a tummy tuck. He had, ah, uh, he had new, you know, his corneas had been taken care of. That's cool. You need a little help? You know, someone on the plane will take take part get you back to health that's the show my friends life ain't so bad we'll be back again tomorrow to give you more ideas more information to help you live longer love stronger lead healthier happier lives until tomorrow make it a great one and let's take care of each other